Okay, good morning, everybody, and welcome to the 2023 Fall Conference of the Bay State Council of the Blind that, yay, okay, that we are holding here at the Grosbeck Center at, uh, at the Perkins School for the Blind. I don't have to, those of you in the room, I don't need to tell you that, but some of you are outside of the room, you might want to know that. Um, and if you're not here in uh, Watertown or Boston, it's a beautiful rainy day out there today. So great day for a fall conference, I guess. Nice indoor event. Okay. Um, so my name is David Kingsbury. I'm the president of the Bay State Council of the Blind. I've worked on organizing this. I was told earlier today I have an excellent radio voice, which is like... <laughs> which I've heard that before, but I, I sort of think I sound stupid. But anyways, um, and we have a action-packed agenda for you all today. Um, I would like to start first, though, simply with uh, the logistics, uh, of which I really don't know much because I'm not familiar with uh, the Grosbeck Center too much, although I tried to circulate around the room to get a sense of where the walls are. I know that. I think I know where the door is. Um, but... Um, I'd like to ask Kim Charlson to, uh, I don't know if you want to come up to the podium, Kim, or want to uh, speak in some other way, but okay, so to Kim, Kim's going to sort of give you guys a little bit, an idea of the layout of the room, where the restrooms are, dog relief area, you know, that standard type of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, welcome, first of all, and the the restrooms, everybody says, Give us the important stuff first. So I'm going to step off mic for a moment. Tell you that over on this wall, there are three doors. Does everybody get that? Okay. Yes. You go straight out to the hallway and you cross the hallway, depending on which door you come out and you'll, you'll be close to the restrooms. The women's is on the left. The men's is on the right in a little alcove. So it's very easy. If you come and go through the glass doors on the side where the coffee and donuts were, I'll go back on mic now. Um, that is, that's a glass wall on um, this end of the building where I'm talking about. So that will get you out to the lobby or to the parking lot entrance, which most of you used to get into this building today. And there are dog relief um, grounds outside that door. And there's also... Um, the bigger business space for your dogs on the other entrance that's to the left of the front desk where you might have checked in when you came in today. Chairs in the lobby. If you want to make a phone call, step out there um, and um, fiddle with your phone. Sometimes this building has a little bit of tricky reception. Um, I think those uh, lunch will be you know delivered a little later um, this after, this morning, you know, lunchtime, and our volunteers will be helping to disperse um, what you selected, if you registered, and there'll be a couple extra meals for people who maybe came late and didn't have a chance. You get, you get what's left, I'm sorry. <laughs> so I think that's it for logistics. We also have Braille programs and large print programs if you did not get one. Um, you could raise your hand and a volunteer will come by and hand you a format of your choice. Thank you and welcome to Perkins. Uh, one of the things logistics wise, you know, those of you who um, signed up and made a lunch choice, again, you'll be getting your lunches at noon from uh, Panera 
I asked them to, and hopefully they have labeled each of the boxes um, with your name. So when that time comes along, because we'll be shouting out, shouting out your names and handing those to either a couple of people, I think you know who you are already, who don't have one named, but you can uh, pick amongst uh, the remaining ones because we did get a, uh, a few extras. Let me just see how we are. Time-wise, oh, we got um, good amount. Oh, by the way, do something that I haven't done yet, and maybe put your uh, put your phones into airplane mode on, so we don't have all of the extra noise. Um, so, um, just I guess uh, before we start, a few things about where we are with Bay State. Um, I think uh, over the last year or so, um, it's been a good year. One thing that I've been particularly impressed with is um, how our committees all seem to be really up and working on a regular basis, you know, being very, um, very functional. Um, advocacy committee, membership committee, communications used to be called publications committee, social committee, and one that is fairly recent, the Transportation Committee. All are up and doing uh, doing good work. And I take heart in that because, you know, the um, what makes an organization like DSCB work is volunteer spirit, but particularly as, um, as seen through active committees, you know, doing their work, taking initiatives. Um, and that is all uh, a very good thing. Um, um, we, you know, have a number of accomplishments on the advocacy front, you know, in the areas of voting, we're working, um, on some transportation activities related to, uh, regional, uh, transit authorities, trying to, uh, get the whole process of getting yourself renewed with your ADA eligibility for paratransit, um, a little bit more streamlined. Um, we've been working also with the, uh, with the MBTA. Some of you might have attended a uh, public forum co-sponsored between BSCB, uh, the Riders Transportation Access Group uh, of the MBTA and the Boston uh, Center for Independent Living just uh, last week on the whole issue of um, Uber Lyft guide dog refusals. Um, I think that was a very uh, a very good session. One can be skeptical about some of the stuff, but one bottom line thing that I thought was good was that even though it's an emotional topic, the discussion was, you know, civil and and I think uh, productive. So we'll see where uh, that all goes. Um, our membership committee is, has been working on an ambassador program. What's the ambassador program? Sort of coming up with some information that people can use to do outreach to um, you know places around the Commonwealth like senior centers and the like where maybe we could go to um, tell them more about BSCB uh, recruit some new members because we can always use uh, new members uh, again our advocacy committee has been working in the areas of accessible voting working now on some uh, health access issues uh, web accessibility. Um, one of their members, uh, Deanne Elliott, uh, wrote an you know incredibly detailed and rigorous uh, 
uh, analysis of web accessibility guidelines that have been put out by the Department of Justice and submitted that on our behalf um, about a month or so ago. Um, and so very active there. Our communications committee, I was still say pubs, but communications committee continues on a regular basis to put out good information, regular information through Baylines Express, our newsletter, through the Council Connection, um, our podcast slash radio program, which by the way, I would like to mention one thing, and that is um, Steve Dresser, who we all know, who, who has spearheaded uh, Council Connection for many years, um, received a, a national award from ACB for his work on that uh, during the... Um, at the ACB convention or just prior to it. Can't remember exactly when they announced those. And that was very well deserved because, you know, council connection has just been really a lifeline for many years. Um, uh, other things we've been working on is getting our website um, refurbished a bit. Um, I can't independently verify myself, but, you know, I was told that from a visual point of view, it was a mess. <laughs> and, uh, it's looking much better, but then we're also, um, you know, updating the content and and so on. So that's going to be in better shape. One thing that we hope to be able to do, I think we should be able to do it, you know, for this coming years, is to have a an online dues payment option for people paying their um, their BSCB dues. Um, in the past, it's sort of been. People write checks, people put in money, you know, I don't know, they Western Union it, Pony Express it, whatever. Um, you can still do that with the Pony Express if you want, uh, but, you know, people will have a PayPal option to do it in like quite a bit more uh, quickly. So that's one thing, again, that uh, we'll have a few other things up and going on the website. We would like maybe for the spring convention to perhaps also uh, have the... Um, the uh, registration form for that also online right there on the website but we'll see about that but priority number one is to, to get the dues um, up and going there our social committee has been uh, busy we had an event or two in uh, watertown we're trying to um, put together you know at uh, no we are in watertown right here at the not your average joe's i think that was in what month was that? Okay. May, May. May. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That was sort of linked in with the um, with the spring convention, and we're working on some other um, things such as tours, maybe additional um, lunch outings. We shall see. Um, and I mentioned the committees. Did I miss any of them that I was talking about? I think not. Okay. Um, so, with that said, I think we are. Are we near ten o'clock? We are at 10 o'clock. So this is a hybrid conference. Um, and we're hoping that everything works smoothly. I uh, need to thank Rick Morn, who has been here since 6 a.m. Not this morning. He's been here since 6 a.m. Thursday morning. So um, um, working you to make sure that uh, from a tech technological point of view, all works well. So our first um, presenter is going to be Sandy Lacey, who's coming in to us remotely. Um, Sandy is the head of the 
Um, I'm forgetting Kim Perkins. How Innovation Center. The How Innovation Center here at uh, here at Perkins, and she's going to be talking to us a bit about sort of the lay of the land where investment is in accessible technology uh, right now. I think this should be an interesting session. Okay, thank you very much for coming, Sandy, and I will go and sit down and listen. Thank you. Awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much for for having me today. Um, I'd love to thank my my colleague and friend Kim Charlson for for looping me into this opportunity. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about the Howe Innovation Center at the Perkins School for the Blind, and then uh, hopefully we'll have some time for uh, Q and A. Um, and so I'm just going to dive into it because it's a new initiative at Perkins, but a lot has happened since we since we stood it up. I do have slides that I will that I will talk us through. Um, to begin, just a little bit about me. Um, I'm pretty new to the disability and accessibility space, to be candid. Um, I'm an entrepreneur by background. So I'm a white woman in my early 40s. Right now, I'm wearing a um, light purple collared shirt with some floral accents on it. Uh, I've spent uh, two decades working in the Boston tech ecosystem. So I'm a three-time early startup employee. Uh, at two of those startups, I had a research um, analyst role, which will play uh, pretty heavily into the strategy that we've taken with the Howe Innovation Center. Um, I'm also an intrapreneur, which is basically an entrepreneur who has worked at a large, uh, older organization to um, help that organization stay relevant and competitive uh, with advances in technologies. Good. So I ran the global innovation labs at John Hancock Manulife, the uh, product and engineering teams for six years. Um, I'm an educator, so I've been teaching entrepreneurship in the Boston ecosystem, uh, six years at Tufts University through the Experimental College, and the last two years at MIT Sloan School of Management. But um, most relevant to my role at Perkins it are the few years that I spent serving the government, um, the Commonwealth of Massachusetts under former Governor Deval Patrick, helping uh, catalyze and convene an ecosystem of support around innovation in the clean energy and climate space. So around 13 years ago, um, I'm really dating myself now, aren't I? Uh, we we knew that there were 4,000 clean energy companies in Massachusetts, but there wasn't really like an ecosystem around them supporting their um, their initiatives to get their products to market. It was very hard for these entrepreneurs to find lab equipment, uh, first customers, um, how do you hire in in this kind of environment? You know, there was no climate innovation uh, talent pool to tap into. And so I was part of the team that helped figure out how to create an innovation ecosystem around these innovative startups. And I'm basically taking this recipe that we've seen be very successful in Massachusetts for climate and clean energy companies and applying it to the disability space. So I've been at Perkins for almost two years now, um, learned a lot about disability and accessibility, but I believe you know my background in entrepreneurship and innovation is just incredibly complementary to the 200 years of experience in disability uh, that Perkins has. So- 
A bit about Perkins, um, on the slide right now is a photograph of our campus um, at sunset with uh, the Howe Building Tower in the background um, and the uh, Grosbeck Center in the foreground, which is our newest building on campus. Uh, Innovation is really in our DNA. I don't think you can exist for 200 years as a company, as an organization. We're turning 200 in 2029, by the way. Um, if you haven't been, you know, staying relevant and providing a, a valuable service, uh, you know, along the way. So Perkins serves 200 kids on our campus in Watertown every year. Uh, we work with over a thousand uh, kids with disabilities in the public school systems across Massachusetts as well. So we have teachers of the visually impaired who go out into the public schools and make sure our kids have um, the access to the materials and the technologies that they need to define their own success. Um, but 50% of our kids on campus have a second disability. So while uh, we are very grounded and our origin story is within visual impairment, in the year 2023, we really do find ourselves working across a variety of different uh, disabilities. Uh, we also have a really uh, large global footprint. So we've been um, operating in over 100 countries. Uh, we are very deep in around 12 and uh, so we have a big international program. And uh, Kim, who I'm sure many of you know, who's there today, uh, she runs our library. And through that, you know, we serve over uh, 23,000 adults across uh, 20, yeah, 23,000 adults across the Commonwealth. So Perkins is really an international, uh, well-rounded NGO operating in the disability space. And We've been innovating from the beginning. So on the screen right now are four images. On the left is a drawing of um, our founding director. His name is Samuel Gridley Howe, and that's who the Howe Innovation Center is named after, so H-O-W-E. And in this drawing, he's wearing like an olden timey uh, blazer. Uh, it's This is from the 1840s, this drawing. Um, and he's pointing to a book in Braille. And next to him is a woman named Laura Bridgman. Um, and she is who we believe the first deafblind woman to receive a formal education. Um, How was like a true radical for his day and age. So in the 1830s, he believed people with disabilities should be integrated into mainstream society. This was not common thought and common practice in the U.S. at the time. He found our first students. He found our first teachers. He raised the initial capital. He found the initial building. Uh, so he really was the entrepreneur. And we thought it was fitting to name our innovation center after our founding director, who was an entrepreneur. Um, he invented a precursor to Braille called Boston Line Type. Um and um, as a feminist, I would be remiss if I didn't mention that his wife uh, uh, was the author of the Battle Hymn of the Republic. So just a really cool, cool family, cool couple. Um, Perkins in 1953 invented the Perkins Brailler. Uh, there's a photograph of a young boy using that on the right. Um, he has his arm kind of extended over the Brailler. And uh, this is often the first touch point that uh, kids with uh, visual impairments in other countries have with Perkins. Uh, we still manufacture and distribute this product across the world today. 
Uh, and we continue to innovate in the digital age. So we, you know, put out a mobile app a few years ago funded by Google.org called Blindways, uh, which was uh, hoping to help close the gap in finding the uh, the exact location of a bus stop for folks with visual impairments. And um, we are in the process of rolling out a digital product right now called the CVI Protocol, which is an assessment tool. Uh, for people to understand if a child has a cortical visual impairment, which is today the leading cause of childhood blindness in the United States, uh, highly correlated with uh, premature birth. So innovations in our DNA. Um, I've come to Perkins because every week we are approached by student groups, entrepreneurs, and even Fortune 100 companies who are looking for access to the community of people who are blind or low vision uh, for primary market research and user testing. Uh, usually these companies are leveraging some sort of advanced technology. Um, but when I went, when I came to create the Innovation Center, it was not, I couldn't find any like market intelligence around technology startups in the disability space a lot of the market intelligence i found was very like analog like um what does the market for walkers or wheelchairs or canes look like in the year uh 2030 there was nothing the, you know the tech sector was not paying attention to the significant amount of activity that is taking place in innovations uh for people with disabilities so uh, disability tech was a term that folks were using, uh, but there was actually, when you tried to Google it, no definition popped up. So we worked with a variety of different individuals over the last year to put forward uh, a definition for the sector of disability technology, which essentially on the screen right now, we have uh, the three different sectors that kind of come together to make this umbrella group of disability tech. So it's traditional assistive technology, it's adaptive technology, but then what makes it different is um, we also include inc the category of inclusive technology in our definition of disability tech. So what does that mean, right? Um, there are a lot of startups and companies out there that are uh, trying to change the way systems work. So the way education works or the way um, employment works, everything from hiring to retirement plans. Uh, the example I use in inclusive tech is if a startup gets created to use um, artificial intelligence to remove bias in the hiring process, that startup might have been created to make um, more women software engineers, right? Make it easier for, for there to be diversity and gender in software engineering. But if that company is successful, that inclusive technology is absolutely going to benefit people with disabilities in the hiring process. So we're including this umbrella term of inclusive tech in our definition. And um, we've taken a research first approach, which I will talk a little bit more in depth about, and then I will actually make all of the research available to everybody um, in this meeting that you can uh, look at and and peruse um, on your in your in your you know whatever spare time you might have. I don't know. Um, it's I don't know about everyone else's life, but mine has been incredibly hectic with a four year old and a full a full time job. Um, but you know the stakes are really high with regards to disability tech. Um, 
Our analysis shows that over 16% of the global population has a disability. In the U.S., it's it's larger, it's 25%. I believe the global prevalence data is uh, underreported. Uh, people with disabilities and their allies control $13 trillion worth of annual disposable income. So there's a lot of money on the table. Um, so from like a social equity perspective, it's the right thing to do. But from a business bottom line perspective, it's also the right thing to do. Um, and we're trying to talk the language of the tech sector here so that we can get more momentum and more attention uh, to our community so that advances in technology reach our community faster. Uh, we've identified now actually over 1,500 companies operating within the space of disability tech. And collectively, these companies are valued at over $40 billion uh, projected to be in 2030. So it's a real sector with real momentum. On the screen is a um, what we call a perceptual market map. I'm gonna show that again later in more detail. So I'll, I'm gonna uh, pass describing it right now because we're gonna pay that a little bit more attention later on. Um, but when I talk about an innovation ecosystem, like what is this? This term is really new to a lot of people who have never been in the tech world before or the startup world before. Um, it's really about bringing together all of the key stakeholders who care about advancing an outcome in a specific sector. Um, for us, that's our community of people with disabilities. We care about getting better co-designed products to market. Um, and the way to do that is by removing friction points in the innovation process. So we are working collaboratively across academia, large corporations, uh, the state and federal government, physical testbed locations, um, investors. This is everyone from angel investors to social impact investors to venture capitalists um, and startups to better understand where their problem statements have been in innovation and how we can create programs through the How Innovation Center to help remove some of those problems and frictions. The ecosystem around disability tech is pretty underdeveloped. So on the screen right now are uh, two images. On the left is an icon used to represent our community of people with disabilities. And on the right is an icon uh, used to represent innovators. And in the middle is like a, a cataclysmic uh, gorge between two uh you know, where uh, like a canyon, basically, where they're not connecting. Um, and it's a, a black and white etched drawing. And what what this shows is that our users, you know, our customers within our community of people with disabilities in general are late to benefit from advances in technology. Uh, and innovators face many challenges within the space. Some of the challenges that innovators face in uh, designing alongside our community are unique to the disability space and others are just like general entrepreneurship challenges. Like it's hard to start a company. It's hard to find money. It's hard to hire people. It's hard to find a uh, product market fit where the market is actually purchasing your product. And so um, we believe that we can kind of help close this cataclysmic gap between the, the two communities. And that's really our goal. Um, the first barrier to innovation that innovators have experienced that we're hoping to address is that finding customers for primary market research and user testing has been really hard. So as an entrepreneur, 
we are always told, listen to your customer, understand your customer and fall in love with their problem. Understand what the problem is they're experiencing and then work alongside them to try to solve that problem. Um, If you are building a product for millennials with student loans, it's not hard to find your customer, right? You know how many millennials have student loans in this country? Like the majority. Um, So finding a thousand millennials to respond to a survey, 50 to sit in front of you, in front of your new mobile app and test it, it's not that difficult. But if you are designing, you know, a product for uh, people who are deafblind, it is much harder to find that community um, and to partner with that community. And so Perkins often receives inbound requests. And historically, we've met them when we can. uh, But now with the How Innovation Center, we're actually hoping to build a community to better answer these inbounds. Um, You know, in addition to that, I just want to really note that Perkins is so not unique to this problem in the disability space. Literally every other disability organization I've I've met with, whether they're in the lo- blindness and low vision community or somewhere else like spinal cord injury or cerebral palsy, they're also getting these inbound requests from innovators. Uh, but the organizations, we're not built to, to meet the needs of innovators. You know, we're built to meet the needs of our community that we are trying to serve. So we're hoping by addressing this barrier, uh, we can benefit um, a variety of individuals and really get the voice of our community informing what products make it to market and informing that product development earlier. Also, moving on to the next slide, the barriers to innovation. The challenge, the second challenge that a lot of innovators face is that um, lot, like the, the friction points, the daily friction points for our communities, are largely misunderstood and unaddressed. So, you know, daily challenges in um, education or employment or self-care, they might be not well understood by innovators because they might just not be obvious and our community voice just might not be um, have a good channel and, and communication strategy with innovators. And we're hoping to streamline that. Um, on the screen right now, we've identified at the Howe Innovation Center 106 companies that are innovating uh, for people with blindness or low vision just in the space of navigation. So there's a clustering of logos. These all represent different companies. Some of them are wayfinding apps. Um, The largest category is actually wearables, headsets, and glasses. We also see smart canes, identification apps, and wearables. So it's great that there's 106 companies operating within this space because if you can make it easier um, and safer for somebody to get from point A to point B, you're going to open up opportunities to employment and education. So this is definitely an enabling technology, and we're happy to see a lot of this activity. But on the right side of the screen is a photograph of the only company I've been able to identify that's trying to make an accessible pregnancy test. So, you know, why is it that there are so many companies clustered around navigation, but at-home medical tests, um, it's not not exclusive to pregnancy tests. I'm sure I'm speaking to the audience right now that understood how, how inaccessible COVID tests were, right? Um, why is this problem not well understood by innovators? There are a lot of well-intentioned entrepreneurs who want to design alongside and to have a social impact, 
but they just don't know about the problem statements or the challenges. And so we're hoping we can amplify the community voice and make those problems um, and opportunity areas for innovation better understood so that the 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 things that our community wants to see get addressed um, actually get addressed, right? Uh, on the screen right now are just innovations that have origi originated in the disability community. Um, I'm probably speaking to the audience who already knows this uh, better than I do. You know, curb cuts, bendy straws, electric toothbrushes, text messages, voice to text, closed captions. These all originated in the disability community, but guess what? They make life better for everybody. Um, and if we can take this angle when we talk to the tech world, our goal is to see um, better, we, to see more of these make it to market as well. So the How Innovation Center is really setting, trying to sit at the center of better connecting these two communities. Um, and I would love, I just want to make a call out right now. If anybody who's here right now is interested in helping inform uh, our community development strategy, I would love to talk to you. So, and, I, and I'll share a way at the end to, to get in touch with me. Um, but we're really working on strengthening the ecosystem. On the screen right now are our four strategic areas of focus. So we started with research. Uh, we want to amplify the lived experience. We want to support innovators and we want to expand reach. When I say expand reach, I'm taking the disability tech story to the traditional tech community. So uh, to the largest tech conferences in the United States, where disability might not even be a topic on the agenda, um, where the sessions are not accessible, I am bringing our story of what we're building at How and why it's important to those audiences so that we can start um, a ripple effect across the broader tech community. On the screen right now is um, an image of innovations for the blind and low vision community. We have made this accessible. Um, I will make sure that everybody who's here right now can get access to a copy, uh, but it basically shows around 100 companies that are innovating for our community of blind and low vision people um, with navigation taking up half the page. So most of the companies are operating in the navigation space. Uh, but we also have um, a lot of activity in tactile interpretation, employment. Um, we also have education, access to services, mental health counseling, communication, tablets, keyboards, and controllers. The, um, the subject areas continue. This is not exhaustive. Uh, but this kind of asset is very valuable to investors who want to understand where the activity is taking place. It's very valuable to startups who want to know who their competitors are. Um, and it's valuable to the community to understand, I've never even heard about Oxite, for example. You know, what is this company and what do they offer? Maybe it will help benefit me, my child, my parent, my friend. Uh, a lot of these insights have powered into a white paper, which we released in September of 20, uh, September of this year at TechCrunch Disrupt, which is the country's largest startup conference in San Francisco. So over 10,000 people attend this conference. Uh, we had the number one most upvoted breakout session at this conference. We had a standing room only crowd. People were paying attention. I would say half of the audience had a personal connection to disability. The other half didn't. They just care about 
inclusion and had never really even thought about it before. Um, and so we released this white paper, which we also have, um, and I'll make sure that we can distribute it. But the beauty of this white paper is it wasn't done in a silo. Um, we were powered by insights from McKinsey. So McKinsey has come on uh, the consulting company to really help us supercharge our research. Um, we interviewed around 30 people with disabilities to help inform this white paper and the framework around it. Uh, we also interviewed a variety of different entrepreneurs and investors operating within the space. And so um, we are taking a community-based, partnership-based approach to what we're building at the Howe Innovation Center. Um, our team right now is small. It's me, and then we have one other colleague who joined in July of this year. We have an advisory group of 12 individuals who do not work at Perkins, but they come from the lived experience of building a startup in the disability tech space, being a parent of a, of a child with a disability, having a disability, investing within the disability space, or being an ecosystem builder. So I um, report into that board every quarter, and, I, and they are informing a lot of our strategic direction. Uh, for the sake of time, and because I want to be able to take q and I'll I'm going to skip a few slides here. Uh, but what they these are all in the white paper. So there's a framework to talk about disability tech. There's numbers that size the disability tech market. Um, $4 billion went into early stage investments in 2022 alone. Um, and we expect the market to be valued at $40 billion in the year 2030. Uh, we've received press coverage by going and expanding our reach into the broader tech community. So on this slide is a photo of um, our coverage in TechCrunch and the subject uh, that the journalist, the title of the article is Disability Tech Startups Kill the Cynic in Me, which I just... I love that title. I, I couldn't have asked for a better one. Uh, we've made the database accessible. So um, the database that's powering all of these insights, we have a front end on it um, that is um, that we did user testing with people with disabilities to make sure it was accessible. And you can see companies founded over time, global distribution, where the companies are in the US. Uh, we sonified some of the graphs. I don't know if the sound will come through right now. So I don't know if the sound came through there, but we we sonified the charts and graphs. My God, I, I thought I did that. <laughs> oh, good. Okay, so it did come through. Okay, great. Oh, yeah, it sure did. Okay. Um, and the reason why we did that was because we did user testing with our community. And, you know, I'll be very honest. I sat down to make charts and graphs, and I thought, okay, a lot of my community is blind or low vision that I'm working with. Like, how do they want data presented to them? I'll be candid, the entrepreneur in me was like, wow, this is like a whole business opportunity of an, in and of itself to make data accessible. Um, but, you know, it makes me think like, why aren't charts and graphs on the New York Times sonified? You know, um, like there's so much opportunity. And if we can influence that, we'll be, um, you know, we'll have made a dent. And, and that's what I care about. I care about just shifting the tide a little bit. Um or a lot. Uh, we have around 500 community members as of today. Uh, so we had zero in February. We're just over 500 people. These The majority of these community members uh, were not related to Perkins beforehand, didn't have a relationship with Perkins, didn't, um, you know, these are people who are building or investing or care about seeing technology accelerate accessibility. And uh, we just continue to grow. Being a community member just means you've signed up, 
you said, I'm interested in learning more and you've accessed our data. Um, and on the screen right now is a QR code, uh, which will which would lead you to sign up for the community. Um, and I'm also just, if you email innovation at perkins.org, it goes directly to my inbox. Uh, so if you'd like to become more involved in what you're we're doing, um, you know, I'd be happy to to chat. Um, and I'll I'll stop there just in case there are any questions so we can have a few a few minutes for that. Thank you, Sandy. Um, uh, I think we have time for two questions. What we're going to try to do is sort of alternate in person and remote if we can. So we'll first take a an in person question. Hi, Sandy. I didn't hear anything about your um, how you are connecting with the consumer organizations for the blind in terms of advocacy or legislation and i'm curious if you have any remarks about that yeah. yes um i appreciate that question immensely uh we have uh work we have reached out to all of our like you know all of the major blindness organizations to talk about the how innovation center and depending on whatever kind of inbound came back from that uh we've had conversations because we're taking a partnerships first approach. So um, like just this week, I met with Braille Institute. Um, I actually went to Lighthouse in New York City and toured there, spoke with Lighthouse in San Francisco as well. We did, you know, they came to one of our events. So we're definitely uh, communicating and having transparent, uh, you know, dialogue around what we're doing with regards to consumer advocacy, uh, a team of two. It's it's been uh, we haven't been able to get into like an advocacy per point yet. But I will say that um, I did go to D.C. last month in October, and I met with six senator offices, uh, two congresspersons, and the head of disability policy for President Biden. And I had no specific ask in those meetings. Um, I wasn't advocating for anything. I just wanted to give them the white paper um, and to say, you know, we're creating this innovation center at Perkins. Um, our focus is on the intersection of tech and innovation and people with disabilities just to raise awareness so that um, if an opportunity comes forward for us to help inform something, we can we we can maybe potentially have a seat at the table. So we haven't gotten to like an advocacy stage yet, uh, but hopefully as the team grows, um, you know, we'll be able to have collaborations around that. Linda Faust, if you can unmute yourself. Okay, so uh, thank you for your presentation. It was great. Um, and my question uh, is concerning hearing aid apps and whether you have any contact with uh, hearing aid manufacturers that have, like, for instance, Starkey that has the Thrive app, because most of their apps are, like, totally inaccessible, um, well, almost totally inaccessible to people that are blind, visually impaired. Okay, so thank you so much for that question. Um, first of all, I just am sorry to hear that. Um, uh, am I surprised by it? Sadly, no. I'm sure nobody in the in the room is surprised by it either. Um, we have in our database of 1,500 startups. We have cataloged them in a variety of different ways, including what community they're trying to serve. So we are able to pull. Um, all of the hearing aid companies that we've been able to identify from our 
database. Have we made contact with any of them? Uh, not yet. Um, have we, you know, we are not doing any sort of um, outbound outreach to set, like, you know, we're not doing any internal testing of products to see if things are accessible or not. Um, but we hope that by coalescing this ecosystem around our research, uh, we can start making it easier to inform. Uh, my recommendation, Linda, um, would be, you know, we can, if you want to email me at innovation at perkins.org separately, I can figure out a way to help get your feedback to uh, like Starkey um, on the on the inaccessibility of the app directly to them in hopes that they, they'll make changes. Sandy, I'd like to thank you on behalf of BSCB for speaking with us this morning. Thank you so much. I really just appreciate the opportunity. Um, it has been an absolute pleasure to be at Perkins for the last two years. And I just want to tell everyone, you know, we're just getting started. Uh, so I'm really excited for our 10-year check-in uh, to be able to show all of the, the impact we've been able to create in this space. Great. So thank you so much. Uh, just one request. If you could also uh, send us, I, I'm assuming it was a PowerPoint that you presented yes. um, afterwards, and then you know we'll uh, distribute that out to folks. Sandy, could you once again let people know what your email address is if people want to contact you directly with questions? Or yes, innovation at perkins.org is the email. To learn more about the How Innovation Center and to sign up for the community, just go to perkins.org slash innovation. Mm -hmm. okay, thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much. Everyone have a wonderful day. Next up is participant introduction. So I think what we're going to do is with a mic runner, we'll first go around the room here. Just say who you are and just simply what town or city you are from. And then we'll go to the remote. And Rick, I assume you're going to unmute everybody. My name is David Kingsbury. I am from Stoughton. That's a small town in France. Uh, okay, this is Christine from Norwood. Last name too, if you could. Christine Diaz from Norwood. Yeah, so we don't want to know which Christine you are. Okay. I mean, I know, but others might not. Okay. This is Rosemary Miller from Uptown Roxbury, uh, social di community director. John Smith from Quincy. Jeanette Kutouch from Quincy. John Oliveira, I'm here to be the next speaker. Elizabeth <laughs> Ann Johnson from Cambridge. Kim Charlson from Watertown, Massachusetts. Brian Charlson, again, Watertown, no surprise. <laughs> and Leslie Charlson, also from Watertown, no relation. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing you'll admit to. <laughs> Judy Dixon, Arlington, Virginia. Sengir Inkiara from North. Hi, I'm Mary Mahan McCauley from Quincy. Harry Duchesne from Worcester. Um, Mackinac Arvin. Brian Benal from Worcester. Nona Heroyan, Worcester. Sharon Strakowski, Worcester. CJ Poss, Worcester. I'm noticing a pattern here. <laughs> I'm assuming you're at the same table, Worcester table there. Neely Heroyan, Worcester. <laughs> Go room socks. Tammy Somerville. <laughs> what was that one? Sorry. Tammy Febby from Somerville. Tracy Cavallo from Waltham. Deanne Elliott from Cambridge. Charlie Dobson from Randolph. David Morrison, Watertown. Maria Rudas from Watertown. Jeff Thompson from West Roxbury. 
Rick Cameron from Cambridge. Cindy Wentz from Watertown. Jennifer Harnish from Natick. Holly Polgreen, West Roxbury. James Locke, Hopkinton. Pam Locke, Hopkinton. Got our volunteers here today. I am Lynn Dan from uh, Jamaica Plain, and I have the, the Forest Hills Cemetery on one in my backyard and the Arboretum, the front yard. <laughs> Some of us are going on an Arboretum tour tomorrow. Not a cemetery tour, though. So, uh, Two more volunteers. Hello, my name is Brian Scarpone, originally from East Boston. Hi, I'm Mira Uladaria. I'm from Wellesley and currently go to Wellesley High School. And our mic runner is? Leslie Charleston, no relation. Oh, those Leslie. Okay, I'm sorry. Okay, all right. And we have our lovely Rick Warren in the room. So now it's the um, turn of our Zoomies. Um, let's take uh, last names A to G. Sorry, Ashley Colburn, Watertown. Jan DeRamus, Braintree. Linda Faust, Sudbury. And Donna Newton. Sandy Burgess, Springfield. Any other A through Gs? Vinod, I think we heard you already. Vinod Chola. Jerry Barrier from Malden. H through N, as in Nancy. Bruce Howell. Nina Kagan. Uh, we got Nina Kagan from West Roxbury. Who else? Powell from Needham. Kristen Lee from Watertown. Ros Nadler Arlington. Jim Murphy from Worcester. Any other uh, up to N? Diana Leonard, Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, I'm also a board member of Bay State, and I'm the editor of Baylines Express. Two people from Virginia and one from France. Good. All right. Uh, the rest of the alphabet, O through Z, or anybody who has not introduced yet. Aisha Rodriguez from Woburn. Jane Perry from Falmouth, your Cape Cod connection. <laughs> Howard Sumner from Bedford. From How are you, buddy? Are we a little there was someone Medford? Howard Sumner from Bedford with a B. Uh, uh, from Bedford. And the other one, I'm sorry? Oh, that was Cindy from Fitchburg, thanks. We'll, we'll finish the Zooms. One more of our volunteers is Vicky Vote Watertown. Oh, Vicky, I, I thought Vicky was missing there. Okay. Uh, Aaron Pergola, uh, Watertown. Yes. Yeah, Who's the speakers? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Sorry. Ron Demency, greetings from High Park. This is Charleston. Timothy Vernon Mansfield. Okay. This is Kim Charleston, and I wanted to recognize um, our Perkins AV assistant working with Rick. Garo Papazian. Yes, Garo. Yes. Who has also been up bright and early. So thank you, Garo. Dennis Porcelli from Fall River. Is that everybody? It's everybody in the room. Everybody in the room, everybody outside of the room. Okay. All right. Um, so we're going to start a little early with John Oliveira, which is good because that will give us a few more minutes with John. So it is my pleasure to uh, introduce our next speaker, MCB Commissioner John Oliveira. Now, let me say those, let me repeat those three words, Commissioner John Oliveira. It sounds good, doesn't it? As you all know, our last several years have not been easy ones. Uh, John was named Commissioner, uh, Permanent Commissioner in August. 
He has some challenges ahead of him, but I think we can all agree nobody is better placed to address those challenges than John. And again, thank you for coming. All right. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. And thank you for inviting me to be here. Um, I'm moving the mic a little bit, David, when you come back. <laughs> Just be aware. Um, so I would like to start out today by really just let's look forward to what's going to be happening in the future. Uh, we've had the agency's name uh, all over in the newspapers. And so I would like to talk about what's going forward from here. But um, if you have questions about something in the past, that's fine. I'll answer them. But really, um, let's see if we can keep the focus today on on getting forward and keeping things moving and keep uh, coming up with different services and programs and opportunities for people who are blind and, and legally blind here in Massachusetts. So um, the uh, earmarks, again, thank you all for your advocacy. Um, and uh, the earmarks are available to you now. Um, Carroll Center has half a million dollars and they're looking for consumers to take advantage of their training opportunities. And um, so feel free to reach out to our social workers and they'll make the referral to you. You don't have to have an open case. So, um, but we like to know who's going, but at the end of the, at the end of the fiscal year, uh, Dina provides uh, MCB with a list of all the individuals that were trained during the year. So, uh, we're basically, since it's an earmark, we are cutting out the, the whole paperwork uh, deal that goes with usually referring a case uh, because the vendor has the, the funding and it's designated for that particular vendor. So to try to uh, lessen the, the paperwork burden on our staff to open a case, get you to sign an application, all that sort of thing. Just call them up and say if they can fill out that form for you and you can refer. You can also reach out directly to the Carroll Center. Uh, the Carroll Center will share the reports back with the agency and we'll uh, just drop them into your into your case um, at in our electronic case management system. Uh, this is good because the, another case manager, if you need, uh, or the case manager, if you need something in the future, uh, will know, oh, she received or he received training at the Carroll Center back in or how much training you got. Um, but if you are interested and you need mobility or need other services, rehab teaching, then we'll go through the regular opening process of, of your case. So uh, feel free to do that. Uh, we encourage you to do that. There's uh, good resources there. The legislators made those available to the vendors. So let's use it and uh, and uh, and get yourself some needed training that you, you might be interested in. And the um, um, MAVI also received $300,000. And I was have, supposed to have a meeting with them uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, but I got hung up on another uh, issue that I needed to resolve. And so we postponed that meeting till next week, but we're gonna just be discussing what services um, they are thinking about or going to provide uh, any of you have any interest in, in different types of services or um, 
then reach out to Amy uh, Rule and uh, you can uh, chat with them and, and sort of ask them if they're able to provide that particular service. But they they have a little more variety. Well, they, they all have pretty good amount of variety as far as they offer because the Carroll Center can offer you their entire program and Mavi can also offer you their their technology centers and their counseling. And, uh, you know, if, so if you're interested in that, just give them a call. If you want other services in the future, let Amy know. That's what our meeting is about, to discuss uh, other opportunities uh, that they can uh, work with MCB and, and incorporate into this uh, earmark um, so that we can continue to, to serve the community. The um, portion of that fund, those that earmark also went to the Polis Center. That was a little bit different because since it doesn't, it wasn't designated, we had to go through the request for response process and then um, open that to the public for bidding uh, and then um, reviewing the, the responses and then awarding the contract. And so, uh, but they're ready to go. The contract's been awarded to them. So that's more to serve uh, people in their home, but predominantly that contract uh, serves uh, people in, in uh, Western Massachusetts, Central Massachusetts, Southeastern Massachusetts, so that you can get some home training. But because it's home training, the cost of that training is much more expensive than if you were going to uh, the center or, or MAB-V uh, because the, we, we, the consultant is being paid when they're driving out to your house and when they're there and when they're driving uh, back to the office. Or, um, so there, there's, it's much more costly. So if you really want to use that service, please do so. But be very specific and know what you want to learn because we can't keep going back. And cancellations on that contract have been a problem because cancellations occur as the consultant is halfway to your house. And all of a sudden, uh, so try to be very careful that uh, health conditions are stable, uh, that your personal life is stable so that you, when you make that appointment with that consultant, uh, that you are going to be able to make it because once they start out that day, then the um, the grant the earmark is charged. So although you may cancel, um, they will charge for the entire because the consultant was coming to you direct specifically and has to um, go and, and try to find someone else to put in, and a lot of the it may be someone else in another part of the state. So it just it, it sort of wastes that time. So if you're using that particular home training, uh, be very, very uh, careful and, and making sure that when you book it, it's it's a guarantee that you're going to make it to uh, to meet with the trainer. And uh, out of that earmark also came uh, an additional $100,000 that we moved over to our technology program, um, assistive technology. So they are going to be using those funds to support the requests that uh, for equipment that individuals who are getting training uh, will be receiving. So over the past couple of years, we have noticed that um, individuals um, talk to the social worker and then they, they put a request in for computer training and they don't have a computer. And in many cases, uh, so we've sort of just provided the computer 
In many cases, when they went to the center-based uh, training or when they got it, uh, received it in their home, their typing skills weren't up to par. So to try to stretch that $100,000 that we have for equipment to support the requests, we're going to be asking our rehab teachers to do an, an assessment of their typing before we have uh, the individual uh, receive a computer. If you have your own computer, we're not going to make you go through that assessment. If you say you want computer training, you have your computer, that's that's fine. But we have found that many of the computers that we have given in the past couple of years have, after the initial uh, training and, and, and some lessons that continued on, that the computer hasn't been used and was just um uh, you know, allowed my grandchild that uses it when he comes over here. Um, that's not the goal of MCB's uh, training and equipment right. to let your grandchild use it when he comes over to visit you. Um, so we're going to be much more tight on on uh, providing out an actual computer. If you want a Victor Stream or a piece of technology that's that's uh, made and designed for the blind, then we will provide that to you. But something like a computer that can be used by anyone in your family. Um, we're going to make sure that you are really uh, going to take advantage of that or have the capacity to use the computer before we, uh, as far as typing and having, um, you know, so that, that you can use it and, and learn in the training. So it's going to be a little bit different than in years past. We're not going to be as liberal um, with it, um, but, you know, we try to be as, uh, as uh, flexible as we can be. Um, but this particular um, situation where we're going to have to really look at uh, providing computers because the computers we get are not the the super cheap ones because we're dealing with particular vendors and so they're they're the eight hundred a thousand dollar laptops and for the most part so therefore we uh, it really we're, we're going to watch that carefully as we as we talk about those the um, the media campaign that you've been noticing um, around in the media is just about wrapped up. Um, we were hoping to uh, bring in uh, employers to work with our VR uh, employment services unit to continue to offer opportunities, create opportunities for people who are uh, our consumers with active cases. Um, you know, we we did get a few a few little bites, uh, little nibbles but nothing that we can say of, of, of bringing in a lot of folks. But it does help to um, sort of bring the uh, legal blindness out in the public, that they learn that there's an agency that's working with people who are who are blind. They learn uh, in the ads on TV, they see different uh, blind individuals at work sites. So that's, that's all good. I mean, it, it, we're here to try to change what the public uh, perceives uh, and how they perceive people who are blind. And so to let them know that blind people can do many, many things, including work is um, is, is good for, for me, but we, we would like to see more employers responding that they're ready to hire. But again, you, you never know. You plant the seed now and maybe a year or two down the road or six months down the road, someone will call and remember the campaign. I know that many people who have uh, talked to have been in my community and at church and other places, they all mentioned to me that they see the ads. So people are watching and, and that's, that's good. That's part of us um, getting uh, 
uh, the word out that the agency is here and that we are ready to work with employers. And it also did help uh, some consumers who were um, might have been visually impaired and weren't sure if they were legally blind. Uh, uh, some did go to doctors because they we know because they've called us and then we advise them to go to their eye doctor. And uh, some did get registered and others are uh, were not uh, registered. But uh, so it, it worked out uh, as, as best as we uh, can expect. And, uh, you know, it, it's something that we might try again in the future, but for the funding for that uh, has been exhausted. So we would have to wait till next federal fiscal year if we're going to continue to do that. So on the uh, the reallotment projects, was a, it's a pot of money that uh, Rehab Service Administration makes available to us uh, in July uh, for the use in the next fiscal year. So uh, this year we, we applied just for one one project, which, uh, which um, Bay State uh, David contributed in, uh, and sat in on some of the meetings and made the suggestion for a dashboard. And that's what we are going to be doing. The RFR is being written up and I think it's gonna be posted uh, very soon. We have to post it for two weeks and then we'll move forward with developing the dashboard we have been showing some, uh, providing some data through uh, the SAV meetings and, and other meetings, but uh, this will be something that you guys can just drop in uh, to our website. And if you want to look at statistics, then they should be available there for you. So um, hopefully we'll have it uh, up and running by the summertime. And uh, we'll uh, probably talk about that uh, more as we go through through next year. So the, um, the agency continues to develop um, programs and try to innovate the programs. Uh, one of them is our reverse job fair. So instead of going to a, a large room where you're trying to navigate through the different tables and, and work all that, we came up uh, and, and the pandemic helped this idea actually, that we did a reverse job fair. So instead of you coming in and listening to employers, um, talk about their company, and then you submit resumes, we sort of turned it around where the employers come in and they listen to you. And we had close to 40 uh, participants uh, in this year's uh, reverse job fair, and it was in October. And the employers listen to you, the employers get everyone's resume that's participating in advance. And if they want to continue to uh, uh, get to know you better after your 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 pitch to them, then they will reach out to you and schedule an interview. Um, so we've um, so far the results from that is that we had one individual that has been hired from it. We have several others that are uh, have been uh, going to have had some interviews, and we have others that um, have uh, had some contact with the employers and are currently. Uh, discussing potential opportunities in the future. So again, in our job fairs, we, we're looking at, it's a small number that eventually get placed or get, or get a job from the job fair. But, um, you know, it's, it's a 100% it's a opportunity for that person that is that one, two, or three that ends up getting op uh, jobs. And you also get to meet other employers. So maybe they don't have an opportunity for you now or you go for the interview and maybe you're not fit for this job, but they know you now. They, they, they have you in mind. And in the future, if you are um, 
available and, and able, they may reach back out to you and uh, talk to you about a, a, a new opportunity that, that may have come available. So, um, so every, every few years, uh, strategic planning becomes uh, a major topic. Uh, usually when uh, we have a new secretary, uh, sometimes when we have we have a new commissioner, but Secretary Kate Walsh is very interested in in doing what what is being called strategic mapping, where she has pulled all of the agencies together. We're working with one uh, vendor that develops strategic uh, plan, and we're sort of looking at where some of our uh, our goals, our, our initiatives, uh, some of our missions cross. Some of us serve um, the same number or the same consumers. MCB has consumers that are served by not only us, but by DDS, in some cases by Department of Children and Family and Services. Um, they serve, uh, get services from Department of Transitional Assistance. Uh, they may get services from, uh, you know, other uh, Medicaid services, MassHealth. Uh, so therefore, uh, the goal is sort of if, sort of to sort of map our our goals and our so that some of them cross and and we serve the consumers um, in a more effective way. So we have a presentation on November thirtieth. Uh, so uh, myself and several other uh, uh, management folks at MCB have been working with uh, a, the vendor, Boston Consulting Group, uh, and they've been working with all the agencies. And so they're pulling it together, the, the agencies and the secretary, uh, Health and Human Services. So we're pulling it together and we're going to present this uh, to each other on November 30th. Uh, the secretary will be reviewing it beforehand. Uh, we'll be doing some tweaking after the, after that with the goal is that this will be completed by December and the strategic mapping can, can kick into place in January. So, um, this is a, a new strategy. Uh, I've always been a part where it's been the agency or an agency that's been working with uh a a company or or a strategic planner that would um sort of help you move things forward but um this it was an interesting uh project it, it's worked out very well i think um the company seems to be very happy and 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 this is a has worked with uh the agencies um uh, and they say things are really coming together so we just know what what we have uh, worked on, we haven't seen what the other agencies are doing. We don't know, uh, you know, what what they're coming up with. So we, we're just coming up with some uh, benchmark and data and some other uh, information they want this week, and that will be then we'll be uh, presenting it to the other agencies on November thirtieth. So uh, coming soon, I'm sure we'll uh, we'll put this out. We'll have it available. Um, uh, through our media channels once it's uh, been uh, finalized and, and we can go forward. Uh, so let me, um, 
I can take some questions now, David, if you're if we're running. Um, sure. Uh, but thank you. Or I can keep going and talk about a couple more. Questions. Oh, let, let's take, uh, we got about 10, 15 minutes. Maybe we'll do All some right. Q&A. Rick, do we have anybody out there in Zoom land? Maybe we can start with the, the Zoom folks. This is Jane Perry from Falmouth, Region 5. Thank you, Commissioner Oliveira. My question to you is, when we had our site loss service meeting in October, we had Kieran Hatcher come down to visit and speak to us. She is the director of the Older Individual Blindness Program, OIB. Yes. yes. And also, she is excellent. So anybody has a chapter meeting, you might want to invite her. But she, we have transportation issue down here. And I am in major need of assistive technology, and I don't drive. But she told me she was working with a vendor to have assistive technology to come to my home or to come to someone's home. Is that the Polis Center? Is that true? And if yes. so, do I go through her or do I go through my social rehab counselor? So you can go through your social rehab counselor um, because Karen is uh, the program that she handles is a federally funded program. And right. this, EMR, this EMR is state funded. So call your social worker um, and uh, we can uh, have, have Karen give them a heads up that you'll be calling. And okay. you'll be able to use the uh, the vendor that the Polis Center um, contracts with uh, and um, get some of those services in your home. Thank you very much. So my social rehab counselor would know about this, correct? Yes, they will. Okay. I'll be talking to Robin Soros. Thank you very much, Commissioner, for your time right. and everything yeah. that you have done for us and going forward. Thank you All very right. much. Bye-bye. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Commissioner. This is Mary Mahamakali. Hey, Mary. How are you? I can talk with you. You don't need the mic, do you? But you do. You do for Zoom. Yeah. I actually just wanted to ask you two things um, that you presented earlier. One was I didn't know what the acronym SAD stood for, SAD. And the other was what the dashboard is specifically. Like, what is that? So the, so the acronym was SAD, Statutory Advisory Board. Oh, okay. Thank okay. you. And the dashboard is... Um, so we've been at that meeting, we've been uh, asked to present different uh, statistics about our registrations, uh, number of uh, consumers being closed successfully, unsuccessfully, all different uh, SR, VR, and registration statistics. Oh, okay. So that's been uh, something that's been presented at that meeting. Um, but the, the board felt that they, they wanted and the consumer feedback uh, gave us that they that they were interested in having that available on a, an easier to access basis and something that's accessible. So we looked at what some of the other agencies were using, and it wasn't uh, really accessible. It was very difficult to use, if if accessible at all. So we uh, decided to ask the Rehab Service Administration uh, for funding to uh, build a dashboard that uh, will be accessible for people who use screen readers and other other uh, devices thank you okay thanks okay uh do we have somebody remote yeah bruce howell please bruce go ahead. bruce howell hi bruce how are you hey today? john first of all congratulations on becoming commissioner i'm thrilled thank you. Thank um you. and actually uh mary just asked my question i wasn't i wanted to get more follow-up on what that dashboard was all about so um you have answered thank you all right thank you it's another in person 
Hello, John. Yeah, Rose. This is Rosemary Miller. Okay, my question is, if you've had training already at the Carroll Center, can you go back again? You can. So the earmark is uh, designed to give you very specific training that you like. But if you've been there before or you need a refresher on what you did there before or you have something new you want to learn, then you can go back. I've seen consumers go back there two, three, four different times of the year uh, because typically uh, most consumers that just go there for the computer training part of it might go for a day, half a day. Uh, you might go for two days. So if if you go there today and or next week and you're learning something, and two months down the road, you, you you need to learn something new, then reach out again and you can go back again. So the, the earmark is for the full year and uh, you can be served uh, repeatedly. Fantastic. Thanks, John, for okay. everything that you're doing and anything that you're going to do in the future. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Jennifer Harnish. All right. So, John, um, I wanted to thank you for mentioning the earmark and the Carroll Center uh, for those who know me, I work at the Carroll Center for our residential rehab program. Um, I get asked many times about uh, people wanting to come for training. Just so you know, we have five spots available for the last two weeks in December before the winter holiday break. So if you've been waiting for training, and this is for more intensive training, please, please, please contact the Carroll Center. We want to provide you with that training. And this is an awesome time to come because you'll also get to have our holiday lunch <laughs> on the Carroll Center and the Commission and the state. That's a big so highlight. Call, please call. <laughs> so you can call the Carroll Center or reach out to Tina, T-I-N-A dot Laffer, L-A-F-F-E-R at Carroll, which is C-A-R-R-O-L-L dot org. And I say that not as an advertisement but just as an encouragement that space is there. Yeah, space is you. there. So don't don't be nervous about I went there and I didn't, I don't remember. Maybe I need you thought it would be a, a day would be good, but then you find that a day is not enough. Get yourself back on on the calendar to go back again for a refresher, go home, practice what you learn, and then ask for that other day to go back and continue to reinforce what you learn and maybe learn something new. Thank you. This is Mary Haroyan, and um, thank you, Commissioner, and congratulations. Thank you. My my question is kind of a, I guess, a broader question. I'm wondering, I'm hearing, and I I sort of get the sense that there's a sh real shortage of uh, certified ONM instructors coming into the field, and I'm wondering if, um, you know, we have agencies like MCB, if there's anything you can do or are doing to help encourage people going into the field. Um, so, so that we can avoid that. Yes, Thank that's you. that's true. There is a real shortage. Um, a lot of the programs uh, have, so they've gone um, virtual or hybrid, and it allows people to uh, take the program. But let's use UMass as an example. So they might have 25 people being trained as orientation mobility specialists, but only four or five of those people might be Massachusetts residents. So although they may graduate 25 people, but those 25 people are not available to places like the Carroll Center and MCV, those, there may be five or six. And we're also competing with the school systems who employ them directly. So those 
five or six people get get picked up real quick. Um, and some of them may just want part-time work. Some of them, uh, uh, you know, may not want full-time. Some of them may not want to travel so much. They want to be community-based, but but in a, in a particular community, not with such a, a wide area to cover. So there's, there's many factors. Um, uh, we're trying to encourage the UMass folks, and I've been speaking with uh, Ali Bull, that uh, maybe we need to start reaching out to the undergrad programs and convince the kids that, uh, or the students that are sort of uh, liberal arts or really don't have, haven't really made up their mind on what they're gonna do when they graduate to go on to graduate school and and become an orientation mobility instructor. I think the career is not known uh, widely. Uh, it's a very small, uh, you know, low incidence population. So it's a very small community that that is served by it in the big, you know, and so, um, but that's that's the only thing we can do is to sort of increase. And, and this is why the, the the campaign, the media campaign was, was also Good. It's just maybe those kids. Some will see this on on TV or see it on uh, on electronic media and say, "Well, I never thought of working with blind people," or uh, that sort of thing. So um, it is a, a long process. Uh, I was just at a at a conference uh, of the agencies that serve the blind uh, all around the country, and every agency is reporting the same issue. Either there's a shortage of assistive technology folks, can't find enough people with the knowledge to, to do what we need to train people the way we like them to train them, uh, can't find mobility instructors, uh, vocational counselors are uh, also not available. Um, and it's just the, uh, it's just a, a population that uh, we, we need to get some more exposure out there that this population is here and there are career opportunities and people do very well. Um, and the salaries have, have gone up um, and, you know, the schools are paying well. So it, there's opportunities here. I think we just need to uh, do more education of the, the students that are up and coming, uh, maybe even going as far as uh, high school career fairs so that they, they have an interest in this. Um, and uh, so we'll... Um, We'll continue to work on it, but if you have any good ideas, if you guys want to partner on on some uh, doing uh, going out to the community, um, uh, let let me know, and we'll see if we can uh, work with some of the staff, and maybe you, you and a staff person or somebody that can go to the one of the programs or schools and talk to kids um, about uh, coming and, and joining this career. This is Brian with a follow-on question. Yes. Sir. Do you have a goal relative to employing? How many open positions are you currently recruiting for? You know that kind of a follow-on. Okay. Um, so the the legislators uh, through advo uh, advocacy from again the consumers and the and the, uh, the union uh, allocated funding for an additional three positions. So we have posted those um, positions. Um, Region uh, regions three, four, and five um, took those positions, um, and they've been posted. Some interviews have been done, and I think one is going to be reposted because they don't think they they didn't get any candidates that met what they were looking for. So 
Those three are, are open. We're also posting for a policy coordinator. To us. Right now, we just have one person at the agency dealing with policy. Um, it's always good to have two. We used to have a consultant, Trish Hart, but she retired. So we need to replace uh, her uh, with uh, a, a full-time position. Um, so we we uh, have been posting regularly. If, if you guys have seen, uh, we, we try to send it out through our media channels and we send it out to the agency. We've been posting on a, on a regular uh, basis, a lot of uh, positions that have come open, uh, people moving on, people retiring, people uh, uh, getting promoted to other positions. So um, right now the the headcount is probably, it was 133.2 before those three that we got from the legislature. So um, that makes it up to uh, uh, add three more to that. And then the policy coordinator is, uh, is a fourth position. So um, that's where we're at now. The mobility instructor, we've been trying to find one for the Northeast region. We just had someone that accepted the position. So that'll be filled. Um, and, uh, so that, and that's pretty much, there's no other vacancies other than those four that I've mentioned, um, at this, at this time. Thank you very much, John. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So I am. Very much looking forward to our next speaker coming from far away, Alexandria, Virginia, and that is Judy Dixon. Um, did I say Alexandria? I meant Arlington, of course. I was just testing you. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, Judy is a, uh, been a longtime employee at uh, NLS, the Talking Book Library, Library of Congress. I think recently retired. Many of you... But many of you also know Judy as a as an author of how many now? 18? 17 books, soon to be 18, maybe 19, uh, books by the um, uh, uh, National Braille Press. I write books too, but the difference between Judy and me is I write about really boring stuff and she writes about cool stuff. Um, you know, she's written books on, uh, you know, accessible, uh, you know, accessible exercise. Um, how to use, um, you know, how to take photos as a blind person. I remember reading a book a number of years ago that is like being thankful. My goodness, somebody finally wrote this book about, you know, how do you how do you edit text on an iPhone? And until I read that book, I lost my mind. I still lose my mind trying to do it. But but still, it it helped make things better. Judy's also um, present on many podcasts like. Uh, the Living Blindfully podcast quite frequently with Jonathan Mosen. I know recently you were on the FS cast. Um, so she has a very vibrant media presence. And of course, is also very, uh, very active with ACB. I'm really interested in what she's going to talk about now, which is 3D printing. I've heard about it for years. I've never been able to wrap my head around what it is. And I'm hoping maybe we get to feel something here today. So uh, I've spoken enough, but again, please welcome Judy Dixon. Thank you, David. Um, we're, there are two of us speaking to you this morning about 3D printing. I'm going to start and give you kind of the basics and where I'm at with it. And then um, Aaron from the uh, library, Kim's library. We, in our house, we refer to it as Kim's library. So... 
<laughs> so Aaron from Kim's Library um, will be uh, talking about 3D printing in a library environment. And these are ways that you guys can actually get some 3D printed stuff without having to do it yourself. So I'm going to talk about 3D, you know, is 3D, I, I was actually asking it as a question, is 3D printing a viable hobby for blind people? And spoiler alert, the answer is maybe. <laughs> uh, it helps to have a 3D buddy. And that's really the caveat for the whole thing. But let's start with what is 3D printing. 3D printing, there are, I could, I mean, I could speak for several hours on this topic. So I'm going to try to summarize. And those of you who know something about 3D printing may say, well, she didn't cover this and she didn't cover that. Well, I only have 15 or 20 minutes. So there are a bunch of different ways to 3D print things. You can use resin, you can use this powder stuff that's really messy. But most home hobbyist 3D printing people use what's called filament. And filament, if, if any of you, I was a Girl Scout when I was growing up here in Massachusetts, and we use something called GIMP to, to uh, make things. Well, filament, 3D printing filament reminds me of GIMP. And it kind of feels like GIMP that comes on rolls. It's, it's a little more, it's a little harder, uh, but it's, it's like, it feels like GIMP. And the, what happens is, is it's on a roll somewhere and it, and it, it, um, it goes into the printer and then the printer melts it. Printer gets hot and printers do this in slightly different ways depending on the printer, but it melts it and then it digitally knows where to put this melted thing to build up in layers a model of something. And printers are different sizes that you could spend, you can spend, you can actually buy a 3D printer for a hundred bucks, or you could buy one for 50,000. So, um, but, but hobby 3D printers are coming down. The 3D printer that I am using, I would not necessarily say it's accessible, but it's definitely usable because of the way I'm using it. And I'll get to that in a little bit. But I want to talk about the 3D printing process. What do you have to do to 3D print something? First of all, you have to either find or make a model. And I started out by finding models. And there are a bazillion of them on the internet that you can get that you can print yourself. And there's, there's this website called Thingiverse that has a ton of, I mean, ton as in 16 million uh, models that you can download and almost all of them are free. You can find a few they have to pay for, you know, this model's two bucks, wow. But you download, almost always it will be an STL file, stereolithographic something. And it's, a file like any other file on your computer. So you download this STL file, but you can't just send that to your printer because it, it doesn't know about your printer. So then you have to slice, it's called slicing the model and use slicing software. 
And this is where the accessibility part gets tricky because not only do you have to have a printer that you can use, you also have to have slicing software you can use. But the good news is you don't have to use the slicing software that comes with the printer, which is in my case, I, my printer is an anchor make and, and the anchor make software that is the slicing part of the software is completely inaccessible. I mean, 100%, it says button, 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 button. And, but I don't have to use that. There's this software called Simplify 3D, which supports virtually all the 3D printers that are the, the major, certainly the major ones. And it is reasonably accessible. I mean, it's it's usable. You can learn how to do it. And then you print the model. So that's a cool thing. And you can find lots of models that you can download and you can print and make some things. There are specialty websites for downloading you know, models with Braille. They're using 3D printing a lot now in schools and kids. I, I, I downloaded a solar system that had Braille. Um, I'm, I'm, I've been specializing in figuring out how to 3D print Braille. Um, no surprise there. And I have discovered that the best way to print Braille is vertically, um, meaning like Braille on the wall rather than Braille on the floor. And if you print Braille vertically, you can actually make some fairly respectable looking Braille. Um, let's see, Simplify 3D, I'll tell you about that. Slicing software, what does it do? Um, my printer, how do I use it? I have a template that a friend helped me make that has holes because my printer has a touch screen. And the good news is the touch screen beeps every time you touch it in, in, the, in the right place. And so I have this template and I hold it up and it, and it has four different holes and they're labeled A, B, A, start, B, USB, C, file name, and D, print. So I hold this template up to my touch screen. I touch one, two, three, four places and bingo, the printer starts printing. So I don't have to know too much about it. I have had to get rather intimately involved with things like changing the nozzle on the extruder, which you can only do while it's at 200 degrees centigrade. And yes, I have burned my fingers and uh, that's fine. I, I cook and burn my fingers and I 3D print and burn my fingers. It's just not really very different. <laughs> You can change the layers and you could change how it how it works. The other accessibility feature on my printer is that it has a camera. So my friend who helped me get it set up actually lives in Germany. And he can look at my printer from Germany and say, oh gosh, let's see now, it's not, you know, we, we refer to it as making spaghetti because if, if a print doesn't go well, it'll all start unspewing un all over and, and make a nice pile of what really looks like spaghetti. And uh, so he can actually look at it. So getting a printer with a camera is, is a cool thing. And my printer was only about $500. So this is not a really expensive. And, and filament, a kilogram of filament, you can get for about 20 bucks. So it, this is, I have just printed 
tons and tons of things. Every time I think of something, I've gotten involved now in making models and actually using a program called Open OpenSCAD, Open O-P-E-N-S-C-A-D, which is a CAD program that you can a blind person can use because everything you do, you write in text. And you write it and you say, I want to make a cube and I want it to be this big. And then I want to add some other thing to it. And then I want to put a hole in it. And then I want it. So you specify exactly how you want your model to look. So I've had a great time making uh, a template so we could put Braille on cookies when we were decorating them. And um, I printed a a uh, thing to put on the wall so that I could put my HomePod Mini, plug it in and, and uh, have it sit on top of this thing so my HomePod Mini can now hang out in my bathroom. And I remember just every time I turn around, I think of something else, else to print or something else to make. And uh, it is so much fun. I am just having a ball. I have created a listserv for people interested in talking about 3D printing accessibility, it's a group's I.O. list called 3D-printing-access. So if you're interested in that listserv, it's 3D printing access plus subscribe at group's I.O. And uh, we, we have gotten into some good discussions there about accessible printers and, and so forth. So I'm going to let Aaron um, talk to you now about the 3D printing. And he has brought samples. Um, we got so wrapped up with donuts and coffee this morning that we, uh, Brian and I forgot the samples we were going to bring. So, But Aaron has brought some, and that's very helpful. So I'm going to turn it over to Aaron now, and then we'll be able to take some questions. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, I was originally planning on joining you guys remotely, um, but I did bring some samples and I uh, thought it would be a good idea to um, describe them. And I think what I'll do is I'll leave some items on the tables and then you'll be free to uh, feel them as we go on. But um, I'll uh, pull out some items, just kind of describe a little bit more uh, and share with you guys some of the theory. Uh, it's important that we um, can uh, uh, observe the applications on how this can improve um, access for people. As many of you may be aware, information can be accessible to people in different ways. Finding something that is 100% accessible for 100% of people, though, it's pretty much impossible. Um, I'll give you an example of this. Uh, large print is something that a lot of people um, understand as being accessible, but large print is only accessible if you have partial vision. Braille is accessible, but only if you can read Braille. So how can we make things more accessible for people in ways that um, are more uh, easily um, accessed? So 3D printing is a really uh, a, a simple way that people are able to produce pretty much anything that their imagination allows them to. I mean, there are physics involved, but um, you can pretty much make anything um, to your mind's eye. Uh, and that includes creating objects which have Braille um, added to them. So for example, you could take something that um, is uh, well, I have an example here I'll show with you guys later. Um, it is a model of Albert Einstein, and someone had added the label Einstein to it in Braille. So if anyone wanted to, they could hold a model of what Albert Einstein looked like and, and feel it, but also read the Braille that's added there. Um, is it Braille accessible to everyone? Not necessarily. Um, but part of the importance of what um, we we're hoping to do is to bring awareness to these forms of accessible um, uh, print 
uh, Braille is important that people are aware of. They understand the importance of it. Um, and hopefully more people will be learning how to read it and how to access information in that format. So being able to add Braille to pre-existing STL files is going to be a huge benefit for those who are looking for assistive devices through tactile means. You can also create uh, raised lettering. So if somebody were able to read print but had difficulty with vision, um, they may be able to find more access in that. That's something that you know we learned a long time ago isn't the most accessible way, but for some, it may be uh, an option. For an example, we use um, for our bingo cards uh, for the game, it has uh, different ways of accessibility. Um, each bingo card has braille, high contrast print, and raised lettering. So ways that we could uh, reach the greatest number of people are ways that we can combine different forms of accessibility, and 3D printing allows us to do that. Um, so there's other concepts that um, we're able to um, underline uh, when talking about 3D printing. Uh, one of my favorite uh, discussions is um, uh, part and parcel to a term called gamification. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that term before, but it's a way about um, engaging with people through games and healthy competition. So it's a great way for uh, people to get people involved in activities, get them out of their shell. Uh, a little healthy competition is a, a fun way of engaging with others. So finding ways that we can encourage people to participate in games is a huge benefit. Um, a lot of People have been impacted by loneliness and isolation uh, in the uh, last few years um, and finding ways to encourage uh, community programs for those who feel comfortable is a great way. We, of course, have at the library the telephone program, which is entirely remote activities, but um, encouraging people to do in-person activities where appropriate is also a great way of encouraging uh, that kind of social activity. So uh, I have here two forms of die. One of them is a standard six-sided die like you would normally use when playing a game. Um, all of the dots are not concave, they're convex, meaning that they're raised, they're elevated. Um, this was printed using um, a, a PLA filament and I added, it's black, I added white out to all of the raised dots to make it high contrast. So that was something that was done after the fact. Um, I've often used this uh, bit of tech as a demonstration for someone who wants to uh, encourage schools or scholastic environments to be more aware about accessibility. You could break up a classroom into groups of five and every person, every group has to create an accessible guy. Uh, and now you've created a game of Yahtzee. You can donate that to a local council on aging, but you can also have a conversation with the students about why and how are things made accessible. And being made aware of that is part of what we're hoping to do, not just be able to provide but and to explain, but also to uh, educate people on the greater impact of accessible design. I have another model of another type of die. This one is used for role playing. This is, I believe, a 12 sided die. So unlike the other one, which just has dots that you count up, it goes up to six. Unlike this die, this one goes up to 12. So how do you represent numeric values for someone? Of course, if they read Braille, you know, then you could put Braille on it. But if somebody didn't read Braille, how would they be able to do that? They would have, you know, a tactile feature that would make it accessible to them. But do you want to count up to 12? You know, some of these die go up to 20. You know, imagine if you're playing a really competitive game and someone's arguing whether it was 19 or if it was 18. You know, these can be kind of challenges for, um, uh, you know, playing a game fairly. So in order for this to be made accessible, similar to Braille, they're converting numeric value into tactile features. 
So, and I'll, I'll, demo, I'll, I'll show this with you guys later. I'll put this on a few tables to demonstrate, but um, a solid dot represents one. A straight line represents three and an empty circle represents 10. So knowing that simple code, you're able to translate numeric values into tactile formats, and it's relatively simple uh, code to describe to somebody. Um, something that I learned uh, fairly recently, um, you know, I, I worked on my on my uh, master's degree in library and information science and just finished it off this last year. And uh, part of my degree was uh, getting uh, a better understanding on how formats can be made accessible. Uh, and um, understanding that Braille is not a language, it's it's a code. And what it does is it transcribes um, pre-existing alphabetic characters into other formats, in this case, uh, tactile formats. But you also could have the Morse code, which is similar. That's an audible format. So understanding how these uh, uh, ways that we're able to convert information over to people in ways that would be uh, more accessible than others. Uh, these numeric values, if I was to roll a die, there's a circle here with two dots. That tells me that's 12. Uh, this one is a line and two dots. That tells me that's five. Three and, and one and one is five. Um, so I can convert these values to somebody in a tactile way. Here's another example. This is the population of Australia, uh, broken down into the five different uh, uh, states of Australia. So I could give somebody, a student, for example, a graph or a table with data points explaining to them the different areas of Australia and the population density and which ones are the most dense. Or I could 3D print them this very simple model that they can hold in their hands and they could compare it and say, oh, more people live on this side of Australia than they do the other side of Australia. Okay. And that representation of uh, numeric values into an accessible format is part of what our goal is with this 3D printing world. So imagine some applications. Let's say that there were a library that had a temporary exhibit. Imagine that library being able to produce Braille labels for that exhibit. And anyone walking in would be able to find the Braille uh, uh, available to them, whether they uh, necessarily read it themselves or not. But this is important that people are talking about. Why is Braille so important? What does Braille allow people to do? Why is it that the ADA uh, exists? You know, these are conversations that we want to make sure that people are aware of and that we were repeating to them. Um, and uh, one last thing that I'd also wanted to demonstrate to you guys, this is a small model of the Guggenheim in New York City. It's a Frank Lloyd Wright structure. If I were to go on a walking tour with some students who had some spatial uh, uh, difficulties or had some vision loss, I could describe to them the building that we're walking through. I can describe to them the atrium, the Great Hall. Uh, I can describe all the different facets to it. But admittedly, this Frank Lloyd Wright structure is a bit unique. It's it's an oddly shaped building. It, it's uh, uh, a beautiful structure, but a bit abstract. So for a student to get a better understanding, you could give them that same verbal description, but you could also give them that same verbal description as they're holding a model of it in their hand. And you can do that for pretty much anything. And we have a new technology called photogrammetry. It's actually not that new, but um, we're finding new ways of utilizing it. So uh, you may have heard about certain schools that have in the past uh, made models for students of their faces. Now, whether that's really accessible, that's questionable, but people do have the ability of capturing pretty much anything that exists in the physical world into a three-dimensional one. And then using 3D printers, we can recreate it. I'll give you an example. We have here on campus, many of you may be familiar with the uh, the globe. 
I envision one day that globe's probably going to have to go behind glass and people are no longer going to be able to put their hands on it and touch it. But imagine someone being able to capture that object, all of the individual markings, all of the dents and grooves of it, uh, and then recreate that three-dimensionally. And anyone would be able to reproduce it, um, either a small scale or even a full scale. Um, so the technology, is it's, it's really fascinating what we're capable of to being able to do, finding ways that we're able to utilize this to help our populations is crucial. And what Judy has been doing with the listserv is definitely a, 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 an asset. So if you do have any interest in this, even if it's just a passing one, get signed up with that and learn more about it. Talk with people about it, share information about it, because ideally imagine a world where you could request something and then have your local public library produce it for you. Well, I will just wrap up with what I was saying. Um, there's a lot of different ways that we're able to make information data available to people in accessible formats, some which are more accessible than others. 3D printing allows us to think outside the box and to be able to add accessible features to already existing files and then re-release them back out to the wilderness. Uh, that's a goal. That's a, that's a hope that more people will have a better understanding so that we could potentially have people adding these features to begin with. So it's not an afterthought, accessibility. Uh, anyway, thank you guys so much for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Uh, if I could take the liberty of asking a first question, I, I imagine the answer to this is obviously yes, but I'll ask it anyway. So I'm a, you know, I'm a technology instructor. I spend a lot of time, you know, talking to people about formatting Word documents and so on. I assume it would be extremely easy and straightforward to print up fonts in Times New Roman or Arial or one of any number of them in sort of larger form so people could sort of feel what Times New Roman feels like and Ariel feels feels like? Is the answer to that obviously yes or no? The answer is yes. Okay, that's my question. So we heard about the Guggenheim Museum and uh, I was wondering, I think Judy mentioned that there were so many things already available. So if I wanted to show a blind child, let's say, what does the Eiffel uh, Eiffel Tower look like, or you know, any of these, um, would I have to build that myself, or are these already uh, those available? Are, those are already available. There are loads of things, as I said, and things like Eiffel Towers and um, Statues of Liberty, and I mean, just all the common things that you could possibly imagine are already available. Yep. And I just wanted to also add as well, um, there are plenty of very common things which exist, but there are a lot of things which are not as common, which do not yet exist. So the Smithsonian uh, is an agency, the Library of Congress is another agency, which is taking uh, strides to produce and capture items which um, don't exist. So for example, we don't have any bus, there are no bus existing of Samuel Gridley Howe in existence. So if somebody wanted to create one of Samuel Gridley Howe, it's not possible. There are none that are available. So why not? We have a bus that's available and we do have the technology that exists today to capture it. So th that's ways that we're able to um, capture things that may not exist and reproduce them, but something like the Eiffel Tower, yeah, definitely that would already exist. There's, there's an organization called C3D, S-E-E-3D.org. And they have a website and they take requests for items that people are interested in, and they will send it to you for free. Really? Wow. C3D, S-E-E, 
3D. And it's run by a woman named Caroline Karbowski. And she started this as a high school student. And uh, she got her, she and her friends are creating these 3Ds. She's asked company for the leftover filament. When, when the filament spool gets near the end, you don't want to start a job that's big because it's going to run out and it's difficult unless you have a multi-extruder printer. So she gets this leftover filament that companies don't need and she's got a bunch of volunteers doing it. It's just, she's been doing this now for several years. She's amazing. So my question is about when your printing <laughs> projects go askew. <laughs> Can you reuse that filament no. once no, it's gone no, through the or do you have you, to? You cannot. It's, you just say to yourself, I'm glad this stuff isn't really expensive. Another question in the room. This is Kim. Yes. What I wanted to say, which Aaron didn't say, is that the Perkins Library is um, on the cusp of wanting to be able to do what um, the, what is it, 3D, C3D can do, where if you contacted us and you said you wanted to see you wanted a model of the Sydney Opera House because you've always heard it was a really amazing building, but you have no idea what it looks like. Um, I'm going to say Aaron can do that. Now, Aaron's probably keeling over in the corner now, but theory, we absolutely our, our goal is absolutely to make it possible for us to provide you with that because there's so many patterns out there. I call them patterns, but they're they're files that Judy and Aaron use in their magic world to create all this great stuff. Um, so think about something that you may have always wanted to see, but you have no idea. And let's challenge Aaron to try making some of these for us. Hand -hand combat. <laughs> we have two more questions in the room. Yeah, we had one that just came up, David. Yeah, let's, let's, yeah. Myra Ross, please, Myra. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. Um, is there an established lending library where people can borrow these things? You don't necessarily need to own the Sim Sydney Opera House, but it would sure be cool to borrow it, check it out, send it back. Is there anything like that that talking books used to be? Um, and well, some are I'm still. Not, I'm not aware of one. Are no. you? No. But. but they are so inexpensive. Yes. I, it really wouldn't be worth the postage to and from, honestly. Huh, okay. they, they, I mean, it would cost cents to, to make a city. I mean, the, the biggest expense is the time. Yeah. But all he all Aaron has to do is start at printing and go off and do his regular job. And the printer will just print his little heart out and it'll take a couple of hours maybe. And mm -hmm. that's that. So you don't have to babysit it or anything. And, and it really is very inexpensive. Um, I don't know if people saw the 60 Minutes program, but they uh, 3D printed a house with cement. and So the, 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 the theory behind it could be applied for a lot of things. You have an extruder, and that job is to take a semi-liquid material, semi-permanent material, and make it malleable so that it can be uh, uh, solid. Uh, later it can be uh cured later so some things like uh cement or concrete i'm not sure if it's the same video but i did see one where they were using concrete much in the same way but instead of filament it was cement 
Um, so yeah, it's fascinating how this technology can evolve or how we can see it evolving. So hopefully we'll see a lot more to come. And Thank you for that. The higher end printers can print glass and wood and, and lots of different materials. Um, the hobby, the hobby printers, hang on guys. The, the, the hobbyist, the hobbyist printers, um, for the most part, just print filament, which is basically plastic. But there are different kinds of filament, even uh, Aaron mentioned PLA filament. That's the most common, but there's TPU. Some of you may have bought iPhone cases made from TPU. It's kind of a softer, more flexible material. So it kind of depends on what you want your final product to be like. Um, and you're and Tracy Kabbalah. Thank you, Tracy. Go right ahead. Um, I just want to learn more about this. Is there classes on this? I don't know about classes, but the easiest way I would say to get introduced to it is to just dive in. Um, if you can find um, uh, the, the listserv, that's a great place to get started. There are a lot of resources that are being shared that are designed from the ground up to be more accessible for people. So instead of having to wade through the as, as pointed out by Tracy, the, the millions of files that may not uh, work for you, we have resources that can make that more accessible. But it is a learning curve, though, as with many things. Also, Bookshare has a bazillion. Bookshare has a whole lot of books available about 3D printing, you know, 3D printing for beginners, 3D printing for dummies and all that, all that stuff. So, uh, Judy, I imagine you know a lot about this because you're probably in the process of writing a book about it for MVP. Well, it, uh, any idea about when that unfor book would unfor be Unfortunately, I will tell you that I did submit a proposal to NBP and they have declined the opportunity to um, do a book about 3D printing. They don't believe that there's enough interest. Really? Hmm. So, oh, well. if you guys want a book from NBP on 3D printing written by me, please uh, let, okay. let NBP know Some about advocacy it. There. Okay, uh, maybe time for one more question. Um, um, yes, this is Shirley Dobson and I was uh, feeling the uh, the dice, the die, and um, it, it, it's square. Does it print out each side individually and you have to glue it together or? It prints, it, in, it prints in layers. Okay. So whatever you're printing, and this is, the, you know, there are limitations to what you can print there, 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 without getting too much into it. It's difficult for it to print things that have kind of overhangs. So it prints the best way it can. It prints the first layer, and then it prints in very, very, very thin, tiny layers, 0.1 millimeter or 0.2 millimeters, these layers are. And it prints hundreds and hundreds of layers. But they, see, if you want to print something with overhangs, there are ways to do it, but you have to put in support. And then if you have a multi-nozzle printer, you can actually print it with water-soluble supports so that once you're finished, you run it underwater and the supports that you added can just disappear and then you have the model that you wanted. But that's getting into the technicalities of it. Okay, thank you. Well, I'd like to thank Judy and Aaron for their presentation. Really very interesting. And I'm psyched up to figure out ways to play around with this. So we got a couple of things before lunch. Um, we're gonna do door prizes and we're gonna do some get up and move type of, get some exercise with Jeanette so we can, well, in initiate the 
process of working off those lunches. Why don't we, we'll start with one door prize, then Jeanette, then another door prize. Does that sound good? Sure. Okay. Uh, so Elizabeth Ann, do you want to explain what we got available? Just We're not going to do all of them in one shot. We'll, well scatter we over the afternoon. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. Hi, everyone. This is Elizabeth Ann again, um, Social Committee um, Chairperson for Bay State Council of the Blind. We have seven door prizes, um, courtesy of Kim Charlson, Rosemary Miller, Mary Haroyan, and plus myself. Um, the first, you're welcome, the first uh, door prize, we are going to raffle off well, not raffle, give a um, handout. We're going to give away, um, what do you call it? a clock from Kim Charlson? Okay. Talking clock, sorry. Now, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Um, how many people do we have registered? Okay. The number so is 61. So, what, 61. what we've done, I have a spreadsheet where I've just sort of given all the people who register who are members numbers. Um, we'll have Siri. Pick a number, and then I'll go and look at the spreadsheet so to see who that. Pick a number from one to sixty-one. One to sixty-one. Who wants to okay. uh, volunteer I, I their do, Siri? I, I'll do Siri. Okay, hey, Siri. Pick a number from one to sixty-one. A random number between one and sixty-one is fifty-two. All right, give me a moment. Fifty-two. Howard Sumner from uh, Bedford. Howard Sumner, congratulations! Is he here in the room? No, he's not. Uh, again, remote people will get a hold of you. Uh, Thank you. You know, afterwards, yeah. those of you who are in person, deal with it in person. Why don't we do a second one, uh, and then we'll go on to Jeanette. second door prize. Yeah. Okay. Hey Z Siri, a random number between one and sixty-one. What's the number? What's the price? A uh, clock, talking clock. Oh no, it's Hey Siri, pick a number between one and sixty-one. Is a gift card. A random number between one and 61 is 37. 37. 37. Let me go. We're going to raffle off um $25 stop and shop card just in time for Thanksgiving. Courtesy of Rosemary Miller. Hello, Uptown Roxbury. <laughs> <laughs> I think of fixes in Rosemary Miller from West. We'll stop there and we'll do some more a little bit later because we got to keep people wanting to stick around. Okay. Uh, so Jeanette is next and she's going to do some exercise type of stuff. We are going to do a little bit of exercise. I'm going to take a minute to describe. You can either sit in your chair or stand up to do any of these moves, depending on how you feel your level of balance is. If you are not comfortable with your balance, please stay seated. If you are comfortable with your balance, push in your chair, stand up, and here's the deal. Good if afternoon, Jeanette. Good afternoon, Leslie. So you wanna tell them the things they need to do in order to stay safe while they're standing. I would love to help you out. And good afternoon, Bay State. I hope everybody's doing well. So um, this is exciting. This is get up and get moving is very near and dear to me and Jeanette. Um, and if anybody's interested in coming on the committee, please reach out to Tom Tobin, our, our chairperson. Um, if you and don't know how to do that, you can email uh, David Kingsbury and 
we will get you in touch. Yeah, but but for today, for your little workout here, so if you want to stand, make sure that your feet are shoulder width apart. Make sure that your booty is tucked in, not out. You don't want to be like a turkey and go outwards. You want to be inwards. Make sure your knees are slightly bent. Make sure your chest is lifted and your shoulders are back and down. And have fun and smile. All right. And the other thing is, if I say march wide, if you're in your chairs, it, um, you want to sit forward on your chair. That means toward the edge. Your normal sitting position, if you spread your legs um, basically to the left and right edges of the chair, you'll be about shoulder width apart for most of you. If you see where the front legs are, that's about a step further for most of you. That's hip width apart for March wide. You never want to go any further than that. So those are my directions. And now I'm going to take 30 seconds to tell you the moves. And then Rick is going to play I, the, our selection. For marching, you're going to lift your knees one at a time, right knee up to your chest, put it down, left knee up to your chest, put it down, right knee, left knee, right up, left up. Now, we're going to start at that speed, but if you want to double time it when the music starts, you may feel free. I will and, not. And Jeanette, I just want to chime in real quick. They may not get to their chest, and that's perfectly fine. That was going to be my next comment. Low jacks. Consider if you take your right leg out to the right, it's going toward three o'clock. So you're going to take your right leg out to the right, your left leg out to the left, then bring your right leg back in where you started, and your left leg back in. So right out, left out, right in, left in, right out, left out, right in, left in. Great. Tap front. You are going to tap forward with your right foot and then bring your right foot back to starting position. Tap forward with your left foot and then bring your foot back to starting position. Tap right Tap left, tap right forward, tap left forward, right forward and back, left forward and back, right forward and back, left forward and back. And do right. not make sure they're on their toes. So you guys make sure you're on the balls of your feet. You're you're on the balls of the feet. You're sit. You're if you're in the chair, you're sitting up nice and tall. If you're standing, same thing. Do not lean forward. You're gonna feel like you're gonna fall forward because you're tapping on that ball of your foot but you will not. As long as you have your other foot on the floor, you will never lose your balance. Volunteers need to verify they are on the balls of their feet. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Two more moves, guys, because I told you about tap uh, march wide. Tap side. Instead of tapping those feet forward, you're going to tap the right and left. Right foot to three o'clock and bring it back in. Left foot to nine o'clock and bring it back in. Right tap, left tap, right tap, left tap, right tap, left tap. And when I when I give the directions, I'll say tap side. That's how you'll know the difference. And Last again, one. And again, real quickly, I'm sorry, I keep chiming in. I just want to make sure everybody's good with their, you're on your right toe, guys, and then your left toe. 
So again, don't lean to the side. You're just tapping your foot out to the side. It may not get very wide if you guys are not used to this. And the last one is elbow to knee. You do not bend forward. Keep standing up straight with that booty in. Your left elbow will go to your right knee. It won't touch it for most of you. As long as you're going toward it, you're going to lift that knee to your elbow and get however far you can get. Right elbow, left elbow to right knee, put it down. Left, right elbow to left knee, put it down. And I'll, I'll do right elbow, left elbow, right elbow, left elbow, right elbow, left elbow. All right. I and again, Jeanette, just you guys, when you do it, you're not turning your head. Your head stays neutral. Anything you do, your head has to stay neutral. Please do not move your head. You're moving from the abdominal area and the hip area when you do that last movement, okay? I think we are ready for some music. Three, four, one, two, three, and march. Right, left, Don't say need to elbow. Thank you for indulging me in moving. 
want everybody to understand the importance of exercise. And we'll do it again for five minutes later. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you very much, Jeanette. Thank you for letting me participate. Jeanette would make a grill, a great Marine drill sergeant. Would you not uh, agree with me there? Okay, but everybody else would like it. Yes. Okay. Next up, a person who needs no introduction because she was introduced at 11.20 or 11.30 already. And uh, Judy Dixon, again, she is going to talk to us now about an interesting topic, which is body language. This thing that sighted people use a whole lot. So if you ever want meant what it meant want to be flummoxed, gobsmacked, or looking constipated, this is the talk for you. Okay. So uh, I'm going to welcome Judy back up to the podium. And Ken, Judy is back. Thank you. Thank you, David. Got it. One of the things I considered writing a book about was body language. And body, not so much body language, like you have your arms crossed, so it, you know you don't want anybody to talk to you, that kind of thing. It was much more about gestures. Excited people are always doing gestures. And yet, I don't do them because I don't know if I'm doing them right. And you know, I think the wrong gesture could send the wrong message. <laughs> So um, just for amusement and interest sake, here's what we're going to do. We have, um, did you want to say anything, Brian? Yes. Brian wants to say something. Yeah. Yes. OK. <laughs> Speak. For me, it is hearing about them in the media. When something's described, whether it be audio description or just a news report, some of these gestures come into play. And for me, I just hate it when they say something like sepia photograph. What's a sepia photograph? And I get to spend all the broadcast getting echo to try to answer that question. What is sepia? And, and those kind of things. So when it comes to gestures, I mean, it's a small thing, but it's part of the whole visual image that people are getting on the evening news and that kind of thing. So we didn't want to pull this together and make it stressful. So we've selected a few gestures, which we are going to ask you to do. And you've all met Leslie Charlton, no relation. And she's going to be a mic carrier. She's going to pick out somebody who did it particularly well and ask them to describe how to do it. So this is not just, you know, embarrass yourself by doing something weird. I mean, that's up to you. If you'd like to do that, that's fine. But this is intended to be interactive throughout, okay? So, Judy, which one are we going to do first? Let's, uh, let's do, what does it mean to blow a kiss? What does it mean to blow a kiss? To blow a kiss. If somebody Have blows a kiss, read in a book. Oh, he he blew, as he walked away, he blew her a kiss. Okay, Inky, you did the best job, baby. Inky did a good job. Uh, How would you describe your movements? Okay, um, what I did, I put my hand in front of my 
my lips in a, a blue case and, and slide my hand back foot forward. Yes. So your hand was in front of your mouth. I blew the kiss and I, I put I my hand. Just oh, yeah, and I blew yeah, it away. Oh, yeah. I see. So you throw yeah. You're throwing a kiss. Yeah. You're going to blow a kiss. Huh. You would then also add. Yeah. <laughs> what I did with my lips there? Did you see that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, so the aggregate of the description is put your hand in front of your face, kiss your palm, face your palm upward, and blow across it. Oh. That's blowing a kiss. Huh. Don't do it if you have bad oh, no. breath. <laughs> now, if you're if it's French, then it's a totally different thing. French kid. Yeah, that's right. All right. So the other day, we on the NBC Evening News um, when Mr. Trump came out of the courtroom. He apparently somebody asked him, you know, are you going to say anything? And he's, he apparently they said he did the zip lip gesture you know, my so, lip my lips are sealed gesture so what is that everybody try, try everybody do the zip what you lip. think is the zip lip gesture take your finger and just go brush jennifer harnish is our winner jennifer harnish here comes jennifer harnish to give her description <laughs> so i have my thumb and pointer finger pressed together, and I started at the left of my lips, pinch them together and bring it from left to right across my lips. So as though you're, think about a Ziploc bag or a zipper. Yeah, you're pulling it across your lips. Ah, hopefully that. It probably doesn't yes. matter which direction you yeah, go. I, I, I think you take the, the dominant hand, mm -hmm. pinch, Make a pinch motion at the corner of your mouth on the far side from your hand, and then draw it across the length of your lips. Correct? Yes. yes. CJ did it good. CJ yep. is a good zip lipper. Uh, uh, zip lipper? <laughs> Lip zipper? That's my motto. I try. Uh, <laughs> okay. Okay. This is why my tongue is two inches short. I bite my tongue. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, we were thinking of some other things. You guide dog users out there, you might not have grown up knowing how to wave a car away from you. Cars tend to stop and they think they're doing you a service. And you're by not letting sure you go. why. And you're not sure at all why that's happening. So you want them to get go away. Just go. continue get going where you're going. How does that gesture look to you? Try doing I think uh, David's got a good idea. David Kingsbury. So I sort of put my arm out in front of me, you know, just extended it maybe. I don't know if it matters that I bent my elbow a little bit. And then from left to right, assuming the car's coming from the left, 
I am just moving my hand, you know, horizontally from left to right, sort of giving the idea of just pass on, pass on, move on. But your palm is facing left? Palm's uh, not doing much of anything. You're just waving them to go by. Just but I mean, you don't move along. Right. I would say um, more. Well, I've got, I've got my palm. I don't think it matters, but it's it's basically straight up and down. It's not sideways. But right. my fingers, and I don't know if this matters, but I've got my fingers sort of together. But the main thing is that it's just like it's almost like I'm pushing it from left to right. right. Yeah. Your right hand. Uh, doesn't matter which hand, but it does matter which direction you go. So if it's coming from the left, I'm sort of moving my hand from left to right. If it was coming from the other direction, I'd go the other direction. If I'd got it wrong, then it'll probably cause a crash. But anyway, so, yeah. And since you're not wearing a uniform and a badge, it's a suggestion on your part. You're not liable. That's right. One of, oh. one of the trickiest parts about doing these gestures is you don't know when somebody's actually looking at you. So when you do them, it's a good idea to do them when when the person is the most likely to be looking at you. One of the gestures that sighted people do all the time, which is really hard for us, when you're in a restaurant, somehow waiters just seem to disappear just about just about the time when you want the check. And somehow sighted people manage to catch their eye and do some gesture that says, I want the check now. And says, what is this gesture? What is the, what's the gesture that they do? Go ahead and give it a try. Uh, you, you got lots of money gestures. <laughs> Snapping does work. It is. It is considered rude. That's if you're annoyed and you are going to be rude. Okay. Put your fingers finger down. I think you're the winner. Oh, you want me to describe it? Um. Okay. So what I've seen people do when I could see better. <laughs> And is just like holding their hand out with their palm up, holding one hand out with their palm up and taking the other hand as though they're holding a pen and then writing across their hand. So, for instance, they want to get the check so they can write it off, like miming the check and signing it for your credit card. And usually holding your hand up a little bit higher. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> you can try it. It may or may not work. <laughs> because you... Because you don't know. Because you don't know. At you. They're not looking at you. You don't know. So you might have to do it a couple of times. Because we, uh, Brian says, eyes are often wasted on the sighted. <laughs> you have to get our attention a couple of ways. So I'd like to know if there are any gestures that you're curious about. <clears throat> Yes, I have a question. Yes. Yeah, appropriate gestures now. <laughs> <laughs> Donate blood gesture. Well, someone was telling me about this very funny thing she saw on Facebook, and she described it all. But then, and it was kind of like, I don't know, not like sort of like a pun. Um, it was about somebody doing a double flip, and the punchline was she was flipping the bird. But I don't know how you flip the bird. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, I usually use tongs and it's fried chicken. That's how I look. <laughs> Oh, I think I think you hold all your fingers down except your middle finger. And oh, I will demonstrate. <laughs> this, this is flipping off. And of course, is there anybody with their pants out there? Oh yes, yeah. Alt wide gesture. Yeah, the alt wide gesture. Judy was saying. Anybody else there? No, nope, it's just me. Rick left me. I'm all alone. Okay, so continuing going. If you're having a hard time hearing another person, what's the gesture you would use to indicate that you're having a hard time hearing them? Okay. Cupping behind your ear with your whole palm facing forward. Yep. Everybody do okay, Leslie? Everybody did great. Good. Okay. But it's amazing how many of these things we do without even thinking about it ourselves as well. That so many of them require a belief that somebody else is looking at you and that I can't hear you. You can make an assumption that the person you can't hear is facing you. He's probably looking at you. He's probably looking at you. And we'll get some benefit from that ex exchange. Vicky says, excuse me. She has a hearing loss. And she says, excuse me, which I think depends on who you're talking to, whether that they think they're trying to get past you. <laughs> excuse me, I'm trying to get past you. Or or the listening thing. So I think the gesture is probably more effective than saying something back because if you're having a hard time hearing them, isn't it true that they're probably having a hard time hearing you? In return, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What? I'm sorry too. Trying to get somebody who's across the room that you want to come over to speak with. Well, again, the first problem is knowing whether or not she's asking. What about somebody's across the room and you want to get their attention? You want them to come over to you. But how how would you how would you indicate a specific individual? Right, right. I, I was just curious to how people do it. I yeah I don't know that the, I mean does any blind person have a way of doing that? Well, they're nice. Call their name. Right. Or you say Joe. Hey, you buddy. <laughs> I mean, I think a sighted person would make eye contact. And they might even point and then nod when the person at the other end of the exchange indicated who me. The I am I am amazed. Like if you're standing at a bakery counter, and 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 the person, the sighted people are looking at all the cakes and cupcakes, and they said, "I want one of those, um, you know, strawberry cupcakes right there." And they point at, and the and then the person behind the counter says, "You know, this one." Oh no no, what right that that one right there. And I mean, how? Can a sighted person on the other side of a bakery counter tell which specific thing in the counter that person is pointing at? I, I am totally baffled by that. <laughs> no, that's. Yeah. I was watching them. In fact, we went to Worcester. Get on the mic. Yeah. We went to Worcester the other day to see the play Pretty Woman. Oh, right. Oh. And if you've seen the movie, 
that same scene was in the play. And that was, she's trying on all kinds of clothes, right? And he's on a business call at the same time, but she's modeling for him. Do you like this one? Do you not? And he gives a gesture, never speaking, just a gesture indicating, yeah, or no, or maybe not. And what would you think the maybe not gesture is? They switch their hand back and forth. Just one second. We go into a Mary, describe what you're doing. Oh, oh. You switch your hand back and forth. Ah, ah, ah. I don't like that. <laughs> so you like so so. Yeah, exactly. You hold your hand in front of yourself roughly. And while testing one, two, three. Anyway, you hold your hand in front of you, but I'm not talking rigidly like you're reaching for something, it's just generally in front of you, and wave your hand left to right by the elbow, not at the wrist, and tip your top of your hand in the direction you're moving. So it's almost flopping your hand back and forth in an I'm not committed yeah. kind of gesture. If it looks too rigid, that's not that's not the way it works. Everybody knows what good is, right? Thumbs up, good, okay, fantastic, like that. And keep your palm down. Keep your palm down, yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> One of the reasons Judy decided not to write the book is because there are so many of them and variations of them. Not everybody does it the same way, but somehow they do convey very similar intent. Uh, okay. Right? Yes. I heard uh, on the TV the other day the police officer or somebody was poking and they put their hands to their throat. Yeah. I was surprised about that because I didn't know that's so universal. And I didn't know that that was a universal thing. Yeah. Somebody might want to repeat that. Yeah. Okay. So um, she said, I, okay. She said, okay. Do you want me to say it? Yes. Okay. So I heard on the TV the other day that there was a universal way to say that you're choking. You put your hands through your throat. Like and be choking, you're choking yourself, but you put your hands through your throat. I never knew that that was a universal you choking sound. You do it with the other hand, you have to lift it up with two fingers on the top. So you do it with one hand or two hands? Yeah, so you put your hand on the throat, and then you have the other hand, you lift it up with two fingers on the top. That means that uh, I'm choking. I'm what? Okay, yeah. explain that again. You put your hand on your throat, yeah. You raise your other hand to indicate you're you're stressing out. Oh, up. Two fingers up. Like that? Two fingers up. Victory sign? Yep. Yes. Do the peace sign. Like this? Yes. Widespread fingers above your head. And and where is where is your second hand? On your throat. Oh, above your throat. Oh your oh your no, your second hand is up in the air. One hand is in the air doing the V sign. Sign and the other and the other is holding your throat. Right. And and Brian, your hand is much higher with the V sign. Yeah. 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 Even higher. 
Yeah. You're trying to get anybody's you attention to look at something. I'm going to be singing plenty. Of. I never. I, that's a good one to know. And, yeah. and actually, Very good. could I add another one? Sure. Um, this is. I think with the both of the shoulders going up and down is kind of a universal. I don't know. Yeah. Yes. That's yeah. Shrugging your shoulders. Yes. Kind of thing. You just do them up and down. You don't do a rotate. No, just up and down. Both oh, up and means, both I down. So I want to make a point for people who um, have been in a situation where they've been choking and no one was paying attention. If you are choking, but you are sort of able to handle yourself, you are going to raise both hands over your head. That means I'm basically okay. If you cannot get that hand above your right you're above your head for that peace sign, then put both hands on your throat. People will get the point. <laughs> Rub your throat like your day is going to end if they don't come soon. People will get the point. Also banging on the table and standing up. Make noise. Don't eat too fast. <laughs> and don't eat too fast. Good advice. Oh, okay. Chew your food. <laughs> Any other gestures that come to mind? Uh, somebody just mentioned banging on the table. This brings into uh, play the intercultural things because I used to work for the United Nations and I was once in a room where a bunch of German people were talking and presenting. Um, when they're when they are appreciative of some comments that people have made, they will bang on the table. That's how they sort of applaud. They bang on the table. So, anyways. Usually, they have a beer sign in their hand. Beer donkey. I'm sure. One second. My legs are only so long. <laughs> Thank you. Um, just being at these meetings for for over the years, um, whenever the volunteers uh, could get to get the volunteers' attention, um, just standing up and uh, raising your hand, standing up, so that they know that you need something. Yeah, you really don't need to do the potty dance. So I'll come over. <laughs> Anybody got a good universal uh, signal that means? Where the hell is the restroom? <laughs> that would be. Hardly it's how you're walking at the time, I suppose. But <laughs> Cross your legs and hold your breath. <laughs> Cross your legs and hold your breath. <laughs> Judy and I just want to make sure that all of you understand that. Excuse me, it, second. It, what? Uh, your wife was making noise over there, and I couldn't hear you talking. Oh, go ahead. My wife was making noise, unless they couldn't hear what I was saying. See, not related. The, the fact of the matter is that they're all around you. They assume that somebody is looking at you when you're doing it. Uh, and you would benefit from knowing, even if you don't use them, so that when they're used in the popular vernacular, you know, in a news report, 
you know what they're talking about a bit, like CPA, but you don't have Echo there to tell you what's going on, okay? So feel free to do that. Don't be embarrassed by asking the question. Don't be embarrassed by learning how to do it. You learned a lot of other things in your lifetime and you didn't do them perfectly every time. Just think of that first time you used a, a cane or a guide dog. Trust me, you'll survive the embarrassment if you do it wrong. I have one uh, gesture that I showed you how to do, which is I, I'm looking at you or I'm keeping an eye on you. I'm watching you. Do you remember what that was? Okay. No. Do your glasses first. Okay. Go ahead. Make a V with the fingers of one hand, point them at your eyes, and then gesture away from gesture yourself like you're flipping you're looking at right it brings out a lot of sight of people when you're blind and you go i got my eye on you yeah. <laughs> and you know the yes another one that um people will do is especially like adults to children or parents of children sometimes mm -hmm. they'll do the point to their eye mm -hmm. point to their heart and then mm -hmm. point to the child i love i you. love you yeah <laughs> do you want to do that Point to your eyes. Point to their eye. The point eye, to your eye. Point to their heart. Point to your point heart. To the child or whoever they're saying it to. I and love point you. to a child or a person to say, you, I love you. Yeah. My ex-husband always did it with my son, and they would do it across the room from each other. And I wouldn't know, and I remember one time they mentioned it, and I said, it's it was very sweet. Really, it was very sweet. Mm -hmm. And it was like, I'm glad I know, because I, I didn't know for like many years they did that. <laughs> for me and my ex-husband, I use a different finger, but the same <laughs> But I mean it. I really do. Ah. On that note, we're going to thank you for your time and attention. And take Leslie to the institution. So I went to a Greek restaurant one time, and those people were in there breaking plates. And I was like, what the hell is all these people? They break sauces for approval. Yeah, approval of whatever it is. They, they break sauces. Yeah, yeah, they smash them on the floor. Yeah, I didn't know that, and I was in a great restaurant myself once. Yeah, and I was shocked. I was absolutely shocked. Yeah, they, yeah. they break plates. So, Judy and Brian, thank you very much. And that universal gesture needs no explanation. Um, next up is Jennifer Harnish, with the who's going to talk about our code of conduct policy. Based on the last discussion, uh, discussion, I realize we do need to amend it. Um, we need to put in that nobody can flip the bird in BSCB meetings. And I have I have confirmation from cited volunteers that Cindy Wentz has been flipping the bird constantly since she learned that. So I think th the good news is we got somebody we can use our code of conduct against right now. So uh, anyway, let me say one thing first. So Jennifer uh, has put together, well, we asked Jennifer to put together a task group. Uh, task force, and she and her committee have done a great job in putting together a code of conduct policy. You were probably going to explain all of this anyways, but I'll say it. The board approved that at our last um, board session, and we're going to hear the text of it in a moment. And the way, this is not a business session today, but we figured that this code of conduct will be in effect till at least our next business session at the spring convention when uh, you know we will enshrine it in the constitution and or also you know have the members actually formally vote on it. 
So we're going to make it super 100% official by then, but you know, this is also a session for you to comment on it. So um, without further ado, Jennifer. David took my jokes. <laughs> I was gonna add French kissing to the code of conduct policy, but I'm just gonna uh, log into my laptop. So give me a sec. And David, are you gonna do the, have Jaws read it? Is that Rick. the plan still? Rick has somebody doing oh, beautiful. eight or 11 laughs thing. Thank you, Yeah, you want it read now? Now to set the stage. Yes. Um, Go ahead, yeah. Larry. Go uh, ahead. No. Let me just start with a little bit of a summary. I first just wanted to start by thanking the committee. Um, this was truly a group effort here. And uh, Cynthia Wentz, Cindy Wentz, our bird flipper, um, <laughs> the committee. Uh, David looked over um, our meeting outcomes. Brian Charlson, Ham Locke, Diana Leonard, and Russell Andrews. So thank you all. Uh, we met um, a few times by Zoom, many, many emails back and forth, a couple of phone calls. And what we used to start off with as a template or an example of what our code of conduct might look like is we grabbed um, ACB's code of conduct policy. So we first looked at that uh, policy, read it through, and said, you know what, we agree as a committee, we're going to start with that. And then as we began going through it, um, we added adjustments, made some changes here and there. Um, in the spirit of ACB, we aren't told you must use our policy. Um, instead, uh, we were able to create one that we felt reflected uh, the nature of BSCB. So when you hear the policy, um, you'll hear a few different sections. Let me get that down. So you'll hear briefly why we have the policy. Then a section on how to report a concern that you have. What to report. So it gives some examples. Um, we also wanted to put in place a time frame for those who were uh, going over the report that was made. And then we have a list of examples of potential actions that might be taken. So you'll hear all of those components as the code of conduct is read. After you hear the code of conduct, what I'd like to do then is open up for questions. And really the questions I'm hoping for in part are ideas, notes, comments. Um, I'll be taking some notes as we go along. Um, because we definitely want to hear from our membership um, about your thoughts on this code of conduct policy. As part of our Bay State Council of the Blind Code of Conduct Policy, reporting complaints. As part of our ongoing effort to ensure the BSCB community is welcoming, respectful, and safe, all participants in virtual and in-person BSCB and BSCB chapter events must agree to BSCB's code of conduct. BSCB takes any violation of the code seriously, and we encourage concerns to be communicated using any or all of the following contact methods. Report at akbofma.org. Phone, Fillmore Line at 773-572-6312. Note that an email or call to either of the above is shared with the President, 1st VP and 2nd VP. 
a report can also be sent to any or all of the following. President at ekbofma.org. First Vice President at ekbofma.org. Second Vice President at ekbofma.org. Contact information for all members of the BSCB board is listed on the website. HTTPS semicolon slash slash ekbofma.org. If an individual prefers to file a report to a specific person or group of people, the correspondence will be kept in confidence, fully investigated, and acted upon. The Code of Conduct, Approved XSX, 2024. The Bay State Council of the Blind, herein after referred to as BSCB, is committed to maintaining the integrity of its events by creating a welcoming, respectful, professional, and safe environment for all who attend and or participate in its events. The term events shall include conferences, meetings, functions, or any other gatherings sponsored or convened by BSCB or its chapters, whether live, virtual, or hybrid. Written and verbal communications are also included. All participants are required to adhere to this code of conduct policy as drafted and adopted by the BSCB Board of Directors. This policy defines prohibited conduct as including, but not limited to, unwelcome verbal, written, visual, or physical conduct on the basis of race, religion, age, disability, gender identification, sexual orientation, or any other characteristic protected by applicable law, or disrespectful, offensive, and or threatening conduct, verbal abuse, stalking, bullying, violence, or intimidation. Any person who believes that they have experienced or witnessed behavior prohibited by this policy must report the conduct no later than three months after the incident has occurred. Upon receipt of an allegation reported under this policy, BSCB will investigate, and the BSCB President, BSCB First Vice President, and BSCB Second Vice President or their designees will thereafter determine what, if any, action will be taken and then bring their recommendation before an executive session of the BSCB Board for discussion and approval. The chapter president would be included if the situation occurred at a chapter event. The adjudicating body must begin investigating the concern within 30 days of the report. The investigating body will then have 60 days to investigate and then submit their recommendation to the board. The complainant or the investigating body may request an extension of this time from the board of directors if additional time is needed. If the accusation is against one of the officers listed, that individual must recuse themselves from the investigation and final decision-making. The board would approve their replacement. The president has the discretion to appoint an additional or alternate individual for the investigating body if warranted by the nature of the complaint. Actions that might be taken could include but are not limited to education, warning, suspension from activities of the BSCB or its chapters, or removal from office. Note that chapter presidents would also be informed about a potential policy violation and actions being taken. If the situation of concern is occurring during an event, the individual impacted by the event or a witness is encouraged to contact security at the event location, call 911, and or report it to leadership for more immediate assistance with addressing the situation. For virtual events, the president, event coordinator, and audio support individuals 
can mute or block an individual if behavior warrants such an action under the code of conduct. For these types of occurrences, the steps above in the policy would then be further investigated after the event. Nothing in this policy shall limit or preclude the free exchange of ideas and or opinions so long as such exchange does not involve threats or other prohibited behavior as defined in this policy. Thank you very much for the computer voice who read our exhaustive code of conduct policy. That's and I will also thank the lawnmowers who are now performing outside of our meeting space. All right, uh, just to clarify, you may have heard an email addresses Akbovma, um, and that is acbofma.org, just to clarify that. All right, uh, questions from the live, well, I guess all of us are live, hopefully, and Zoom in here. Um, but if you have a question or comment in the room, please raise your hand and we'll get you on the mic. Sharon, you put your hand up first. All right. Um, actually, it was just a clarification that this code of conduct, uh, from what I understand, would be for live events and also email exchanges. Is that correct? And virtual events, hybrid events as well. Oh, I'm sorry. The question was, would the code of conduct apply to live events and email uh, discussions? And then we said yes to that as well as hybrid or remote events. Uh, this is John Smith. Um, my question is about the investigation. Um, could you, you know, elaborate on this or when you, you know, have the final um, part of this um, code of co conduct, I think you need to elaborate on what the invest investigation has or what is required and what the rights of the accused might be and or the person that is bringing the claim. You know, do they have the right to bring in their their witnesses or, uh, you, know, you know, that kind of thing. So I think you need to elaborate on that part of the uh, code. Yeah, I'll try and say a little bit about that now. Um, the investigation would certainly include gathering information, uh, perhaps from those involved, well, absolutely from those involved, um, those who might have witnessed the event. We're not playing attorney. We're not playing judge, police officer. Uh, we're trying to just begin looking into and deciding what the next steps might be. One more question. Okay, thank you. Um, Jennifer, so two things. One, you um, it says three months, the person has three months before uh, in which to decide to bring a, or file a complaint. Um, wondering if maybe three months is a little long for that, you know? We After had three months, people's memories get dim and, you know, that really pushes out the length of time of the time of the event to the end of the investigation. So wondering if maybe three months is too long. And second, you mentioned email discussions. Does this code of conduct also oversee like the email lists, like BSCB chat list? Yes, it would apply to the BSCB okay. quote sanctioned lists. Um, your first question about time frame that was one of the ongoing back and forth uh, conversations uh, that the committee had. We really struggled to make a decision on the appropriate length. Um, we discussed much longer than three months under the thought that especially if um, specific trauma has occurred um, or if an individual is embarrassed by an event that they experienced, it might take them much longer to feel comfortable coming forward. 
Um, then we also though, discussed what you're pointing out was um, what is the reliability of memory uh, for an event? So we settled on three months as kind of a middle ground. Uh, we had discussed one month, six months, and our final choice as a committee was three months. Two things. I think it should be no more than two months, particularly if you are the accused, because you may have no idea that something that you said was offensive to somebody. That actually happened to me the other day. Somebody said something on a call that I was hosting, and I had to point out that we needed to stop the discussion because it was a little problematic. My other question, though, is um, do why do we not have a third party involved who is not a member of the board to handle this? So I'm a little concerned. Mm -hmm that we only have board members evaluating this. And I'm not sure who or what that third party should be, but I do think there needs to be one. That was a question we were reviewing as well, uh, where we would, at least right now, the way the policy stands, we would involve a third party based on the nature of the incident. So perhaps it's an incident that the president first and second vice presidents uh, feel that they would really benefit from some additional um, education on the matter, more of a quote specialist in the matter. And they would go to the, or the president would then uh, approve adding an additional person. Uh, but we did have that same thought as you, which is who would that person be in general? If we, what we tried to do in the policy as well it's not put specific names of individuals. So, you know, we're not saying David would be the one. We're not saying Sharon would be the one. We're trying to leave it as general as possible so that it's not having to be changed in our constitution year after year as changes are made. So that would be the other one. Kim, up next. Thank you, Jennifer. And I just wanted to say as, as ACB president at the time when we determined that it was important for our organization to have a code of conduct policy, I, I wanna commend the work that BSCB has done. Um, I think it's important. It's, it's important for unfortunately a lot of reason in these days and times that we need to have, we need to have guidelines. We wanna be sure we have a safe, respectful organization and we want to also protect our organization from in, inadvertent litigation or accusations that might come along. So there's a lot of reasons why this policy is necessary, although I'm sure we all wish it wasn't, but it is these days. So good work. And I think we all need to remember that this is, this is a mechanism for our organization to manage things that happen within our organization. We're not trying to be, as was said, judges, jury, lawyer, prosecutors, any of those things. But we want to come to a place through investigation of the, of the details of a situation where we can manage and keep our organization moving forward on a safe, even keel. So having said that, I just had one comment 
about something I heard in um, one of the clauses. So the assumption in the clause was that there was a situation where an officer needed to be removed from office. And it said that the board would re replace that person. And that is correct if that does happen, but I think you need a, a little additional language that says until the membership can elect that position at a regular business meeting. Can you repeat what that would be the last until the membership? Well, the concept is, and you can get that language probably right out of the constitution. If, if there's a resignation, the board can fill a vacancy and until the next election for that position would come up and the membership would vote. So I'm giving you more words than you need to use, but there is language right in our own constitution that um, identifies that situation. So what I'm saying is you want to um, include the fact that the membership would vote to fill that position when the election was next due. But immediately, yes, absolutely, the board would fill that vacancy unless there was a situation like the convention will be in a six weeks and there was an election schedule, then the board may opt not to fill that position because in six weeks there will be an election. So it's just making sure that we reference back to the fact that the members elect the officers at some point, but the, but the board does have the authority to replace and fill a vacancy. And yeah, that's, that's important. We talked a bit about, um, making sure that you know we are, we have to follow our constitution as it's written so we may also be putting in uh, a potential amendment to be voted on to the constitution with respect to uh, what you were noting there um, if specifically if we were to um, decide that the individuals say involved um, committing the uh, questionable behavior if it was as such a nature that the individual would be um, asked to not be a member anymore. Um, right now, that's not in the constitution that we could do that. And someone correct me if I'm wrong on that one, but that was part of the discussion as well. So there are elements of what we've written here that would need a change in the constitution. So that's also where the membership comes into play at the next business meeting. Uh, again, I was a member of the committee and I want to make one other thing clear we were very very concerned that what is an accusation doesn't become kind of common gossip we wanted to make sure that we kept this close to our vest so that we could protect uh, the accused of something unless we had really strong evidence that it occurred and then there's still a due process through the highest elected officials on to the board during executive session. We made no place within this text that said that the accused can bring a lawyer because we are not a court. If it's that awful a situation, then we said uh, we need to let uh, law enforcement know about it and let them take it from where that is. But our intent is to keep it from being, well, so-and-so said I was ugly this morning or whatever. And that turned into a so-and-so gossip that 
he keeps abusing by telling women or her telling men that they're ugly. It just gets out of hand. So the fewer that know while it's going on, the better it is for all of us. It just occurs to me that um, I'd like to know, say somebody accuses me, and I'll use me as an example just because I can, of doing something really egregious. So if somebody thought I hit David when we were just kind of horsing around and trying to do whatever we no, were I doing. Did last Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or that exercising yeah. earlier. I, that, while exercising, because I was right next to him at the podium. So there you go. Would I, as the accused, at some point be informed that I am being investigated? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I want to make sure Absolutely. that investigation. understand that. And I'll just add to the, um, when when we were very deliberate in adding a word education to the list of what um, might be, I don't have the exact wording, but not just, you know, these serious negative uh, behave, behaviors that the board would uh, not accuse the individual. Anyway, what I meant, what we mean by education are things like sharing of resources. For example, there might be situations where, um, say, someone is under the influence of alcohol to such a degree that it's really impacting the nature of their behavior towards other individuals. One of the resources that might be shared would be resources for those who um, may have a substance use disorder, who may need some support with that. So it's not meant to just judge, it's also meant to share what the resources are out there. Some examples in our community might be referring to the Mass Office on Disability or the Mass Commission Against Discrimination. Um, those are some other resources that are out there. Um, there are also mental health hotlines that exist. Uh, I mean, so many things that we can be sharing and informing uh, either membership or individuals involved about. The idea being that we're not in a position to um, assist someone who may have a substance use disorder. What we can, though, do is strive to provide information and guidance because we care about our members. All right. Any other questions? Well, thank you, everyone. I um, appreciate your input on this important topic. And again, thank you, Jennifer, to you and your task force for a great job. You got it. You said you were going to do it. You did it. It's done on time. And I think, uh, as Kim was saying, I think it is an important and, you know, unfortunately, I guess, necessary um, uh, addition to our policies. I think we're running a couple of minutes early. Elizabeth, Elizabeth Ann, you want to do um, a door prize or two? Okay, the next one is going to be from Mary Horoyan. It's a $25 Amazon gift card. Oh, let me get my Siri together here. <laughs> hey, Siri, give us a number from 1 to 63. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Never mind. The number between 1 and 61. A random number between 1 and 61 is 39. Carl Richardson. Carl Richardson is our winner. Carl is not physically here, I don't think. Oh, he signed up to be here. So, Mary will. Um, so, we're going to do a $25 gift card from 
Bath and Body Works. Um, somebody could smell sweet for the loved one. <laughs> That's from me. Um, Siri, give a number between one and 61. Hey, Siri, give a number between one and 61. A random number between one and 61 is 28. Based on what Jennifer said, I don't know how this person should take this, but Steve Dresser, <laughs> you are the winner uh, in that one. Okay. Uh, no. And uh, Steve is in distant reading right now, so maybe that's a good thing. So, okay. We'll do one more. Siri, random number between one and 61. A random number between one and 61 is 40. Target from Rose, $25. gift card from Trader Joe's. Those tea places. Those <laughs> keywords. Hello. Bell and Tony. The winner of that one. Okay. All right. So thank you, uh, Elizabeth. So next up is, once again, our own Brian Charlson, who is, this is a tech talk of sorts now. And he is going to talk about the revolutionary new gotcha. Be My Eyes, Be My AI uh, for describing pictures and the like. Photos. Brian. So <clears throat> we know that uh, Brian's been a little obsessed with this thing called artificial intelligence, probably because he has no native intelligence to begin with. So I can only hope for some artificial and then you could at least buy it. Um, but the world is changing so rapidly, so rapidly. And it's already begun to show its face in blindness-related tech. So... Be My Eyes Beta. Be My Eyes Beta is the one we're going to work with now. So I double-tapped open it. Be my starting camera. Starting camera. All right. So... I'm going to describe what I'm doing on my screen as well as give you a chance to hear the kinds of things this lovely system can do for us. Because this is take still being my eyes at the top, take picture it's button. the take my take a picture button. I'm going to flick right. Tab bar, get support, tab one of five. And now there are five tabs across the screen. Again, the take first tab one. Bar, get support, get tab, support. That's where you can get support for a particular service that's listed on the support group. Um, ACB is, is one of those, I believe. Selected, be my AI, tab two of five. Be my AI, which is what we're gonna demonstrate here. Community, tab three of five. Community. Learn, tab four of five. Com learn, tab learn. four of settings, tab and five settings. of five. Okay, so I'm gonna go, keep flicking right. Settings, tab five of five. Okay. So it already was set at be my AI. Horizon status. So I'm going up toward the top of the screen. Tap bar. Get take picture button. To the take picture button. What should I take a picture of? How about I take a picture of all of you? I think we need to remove John Smith from the room. I double tap the screen with the back facing camera facing all of you. Not making the appropriate noise. Analyzing picture. Ah. Please wait. 
It's analyzing the picture. Yes. Hey, this is cheaper than that bill from the shrink. The picture shows the room with several people this sitting on chairs around tables. In the foreground, there is a desk with a monitor on it. The monitor is turned off and has a gray screen. That's, but I can. On the left side of the picture, there is a man sitting at a table, looking down at something in his hands. He is bald and wearing a green shirt. Behind him, there is a woman with brown hair and a man sitting next to him. On the left side of the picture, there is a man sitting at a table, looking down at something in his hands. He is bald and wearing a green shirt. Behind him, there is a woman with brown hair and a man sitting next to each other. The woman is wearing a maroon shirt and the man is wearing a gray shirt with some graphics on it. Actions available. Now. In the middle of the picture, there is an older man with a gray beard and mustache, wearing a dark gray sweater and blue jeans. He is sitting on a chair with his arms crossed and looking directly at the camera. Actions available. On the right side of the picture, there are two women sitting next to each other. One is wearing a pink shirt with a floral pattern and the other is wearing a brown sweater with a pattern on it. There is also a red coat hanging on the back of a chair. Actions available. The room has a carpeted floor and white walls. There are two doors in the background. One of them has a small window and a sign next to it. The room is well. Actions available. Take picture button. Okay, hold on. The room, the room has a carpeted floor and white. Take picture button. Ask more button. There's an ask more button. Hmm. Message, text field, message. What is the graphic on the t-shirt? Inserted, what is the graphic on the t-shirt? Clear text, but send message, button. Send me send that message. message. Wait, be my AI, sending a message. It's composing a reply to my question. Be my AI is still writing a message. Be my AI, the graphic on the t-shirt of the man sitting in the background is a bit unclear, but it appears to be a design with text and an image. The text at the top seems to say savage and there is an image below it which looks like a character or figure. I'm yes, sorry, but I can't make out the details of the image clearly. If you need more information on the graphic, you might want to consider pressing the call a volunteer button for further assistance. Is that amazing? Yeah. It is amazing to me. Yes. It's quite accurate in this regard. However, this device, this whole system has an aspect called hallucinations. It says what it says with such confidence, right? But sometimes what it says isn't right. So I'm going to try to get it to look at something that um, it might get wrong. Leslie, do you see a thermostat in this room? I'm, I'm going to go take a picture of it. There we go. So I'm going to let you hear this, and Leslie's going to go back to that uh, thermostat and tell us how accurate it is as it describes it. The picture shows a thermostat mounted on a white wall. The thermostat is white and rectangular in shape. It has a digital display at the top which shows the temperature as 69 degrees Fahrenheit. Below the display, there are two buttons with up and down arrows for adjusting the temperature. To the left of these buttons, there is a vertical slider. At the bottom of the thermostat, the brand name Alerton is visible. There is also a part of a finger visible at the bottom of the picture, probably unintentionally captured while taking the photo. Actions available. So how how accurate was it, Leslie? 100 percent this time. However, Judy, can you get Judy at the microphone? And what's the cost of this service? Free currently. 
There's no guarantees that things will stay free forever, depending on how the finances are. No, this is an alternative. I just got rid of us talking in work, my talking thermostat. Yeah, there you go. We just said to get a, you know, with big, um, numbers. big numbers. Yeah. And I thought I, I haven't installed it yet, but I can do it with this. You absolutely can do it with this kind of thing. So hold on, I want to re repeat for the uh, online audience. The question had to do with, could I use this to read my own thermostat at home? And the answer is yes. But I highly recommend that you first make sure with a sighted friend what it actually looks like before you listen to what it has to report, because it can be violently wrong. So at this point, Judy, uh, as part of her employment, but also as part of all the outside activities that she does, ends up having to stay in hotel rooms a lot. And one of the first things you want to do as a blind person in a hotel room is to find the thermostat, because it's never set for you. It's set for housekeeping, right? <laughs> So she goes over and uses this to take a look at the thermostat. Turn it up, turn it down, find out what it is. And it gives her a rather nice recitation of what the thermostat looks like. Unfortunately, it said that there were two columns of three buttons each on the left side. And uh, it didn't have that. It had four buttons across the bottom. Totally wrong. Um, it's been wrong many, I mean, dozens. Been wrong dozens and dozens of times. When I you first used this technology, I took a picture of the contents of a cupboard in my pantry, and it just with a total authority said there was a jar of grape jelly, a jar of Smucker's strawberry jelly, and a jar of... Well, I can't remember what it was, apple butter or something like that. And then I asked a sighted person what it was, and it was grape jelly. And it was Smuckers, and it was uh, apple butter. But the Smuckers was raspberry, not strawberry. Now, that might not matter for most people, but if you have allergies, knowing exactly what's in that jar before you commit to it matters. So remember what it said in that long description. If you want more information, I recommend that you call a volunteer. So if, it, if it's in a situation where you really need to know, get a second opinion. And that second opinion is that volunteer. Okay? Got to be careful. It's not like David did where he thought he had this wonderful picture of, who was it? Uh, the hockey player, the Bruins hockey player, Bobby Orr. And it, and it said it with total conviction that this was the case. And was it? Was not. Was not him. But it looked very much like a poster that's famous about that person. Found the mic. I'm delighted she found the mic and not a peanut. It does work. Yeah, we're happy about that. Question from so, Mr. Morrison. Questions. Good. Let's go for it. 
That was a quickie question. You said that talking doesn't have to stop working. Is that a VIP 3000? Did it use batteries? Yes. And I got it from LS. LS and S. And they, I called them and they don't carry it anymore. So here's what happened to me. So I um, I bought my VIP 3000 talking thermostats. I bought two of them in 2016 or 18. Um, I changed the batteries every year and you know, around this time. In 2020, one of them stopped talking. So I bought a third one, $300 a piece. And so, um, then this fall, I took the two upstairs and downstairs down to replace the batteries. And stop talking. And that thermostat and manufacturers not available. downstairs and I'll get something else for the tenant, but you'll have a talking thermostat. Instead, I brought it to Perkins, to engineers, and what was happening, the batteries were not making contact. There's the flat side and the needle and the positive that little nipple was not making contact. So before you throw it out, put a foil in there and see if it's the battery in the batteries. Recharge my Okay. Yes, go ahead. The other night I was sleeping and I heard it go on, so I haven't touched it. I don't even know. I don't even know what temperature it's on, but it's warm. There you go. Another yeah. comment from well, David. Was my heating service that I put in a new heating heater service, and it wasn't that because now it's going. But so I don't know. Okay. Well, thank you. You know, we should at some point in one of our conferences just have a. I had a, this terrible thing happen to me and somebody else in the room is going to have a solution for that terrible thing that happened to you. A lot of that, that's how we learn a lot about technology, especially is from one another in that regard. Okay. Uh, yeah, this is David with, uh, well, first off, a quick plug of sorts. Uh, Tuesday is the tech fair of the Carroll Center. And in the morning, we're going to have a couple of sessions on AI. And the first one will be done by Nick Corbett and myself, not sure, you know, Nico is going to demonstrate a few things. One thing I'm going to show people also, and it's not very hard, if you already have, you know, photos on your iPhone, for example, you've taken a picture and it's in the photos app, or you've got a picture that you've saved to a cloud sharing app like Dropbox, Google Drive, or OneDrive, you can also get those pictures described um, with be my, uh, with uh, be my AI with just a few finger flicks. And that works. Uh, once you get the picture taken, then you're in the same framework that Brian said, where you can ask additional questions and so on. So we'll be talking about that on Tuesday. I have a question. I hear Sharon with a question. Yes. Okay. One second. Here we go. Thank you. It's kind of a technical question. Brian, when you were reading the initial picture of the room, um, could you have done a 
two finger down swipe to read the whole thing at once? Yes. You couldn't. Okay. But you were going just looking right, looking right. Right. Yeah. So that we could react to the content rather than having to hear the whole thing okay. and then remark about something that happened 12 paragraphs ago. So, yeah, uh, yeah this um, is part of G of chat GPD, right? Correct. So my I'm just kind of wondering, this is not particularly made for blind users, I assume. The chat GPT isn't. The but interface is. The inter this the user interface is. So the the recognition of pictures is? No. No. I'm saying that's, the user that's, interface. Right, but right. But, but the recognition of pictures is not particularly made for blind people. So I'm wondering Correct. what are all these what are the applications for people who are who are not blind? Because uh, yeah. So Oh uh, Lord. So the applications for people who are not blind. You heard the voice that read the policy. Artificial intelligence was used to generate that. You now can get artificial intelligence to clone virtually any voice. Yeah, but it's not voices, but pictures. Ah, it is also capable of taking those pictures and allowing you to give it verbal commands to edit the pictures. Oh, okay. So, for example, you might take a picture and you want to uh, eliminate the clouds in the sky. Every day would be a good Please. hair day. So, so you can do those kinds of things through verbal commands through AI. But this also allows for spoofing, where it looks like you are in a girly magazine, but it's really not you. Not me. I could actually no, have a 22-year-old body, but my face. Right? But but these things, this is making it harder and harder to tell truth from fiction, that it's capable of doing this. And incidentally, this is not cheap. You might not be getting paid or, or pay or, or may charge for it. But the fact of the matter is, it takes supercomputer time to do. And that is not inexpensive. To get it to recognize the first picture probably costs somewhere around $6 of computer time. How often would you use it if every time it costs you $6, right? Not much, but the computers are getting faster, just like a radio reading service where they learned to use the subcarrier of FM stations, and we got to use them for free for radio <laughs> reading services. There are similar kinds of aspects of how a computer processes this kind of information. And we are likely to get some benefits out of using the parts that aren't high enough definition for commercial use. Any other questions or comments? One thing I know that these are capable of and they use them with um, browsers is you see a picture and it's like, I know that actor, who is that actor? And you can do a search on the picture and it will find that actor, 
or what a fascinating old building. I wonder where that is. I would love to visit that. And it can Google search and find a picture and says, well, that's in Dublin. One of the difficulties they're finding is the ethics of that. Maybe a person's in a picture, but they, even though it can figure out who that person is, the person didn't mean to be in that picture I and is hiding there. from somebody. It wasn't perhaps a former spouse, for example. Pictures of children that might be identified as another uh, issue. Now, this one, notice that it said a man with a, was a gray shirt and a man with a bald head, but it didn't say who they were, right? They just described them in general terms. That's where the state of the art is likely to land to some direction, though... I wouldn't be at all surprised to find that anybody who is in your uh, favorites, what do you want to call it, somebody in your contact list? I.e. Uh, Facebook, et cetera, might yeah. be what they call tagged. Yes, that kind of thing might uh, play part in all of that. Hey, Rose. Now, Rose. So my question is, you, you took a picture and an image came up on the phone. Um, how did you get it to read that information? It started reading it automatically. Really? But then it didn't read it top to bottom. I then had to flick to the right to get it to move to the next chunk of information on a longer description. If it's a short description, it'll read it all. But if it's a longer description, it may take you flicking three or four times to get through all of the text. Okay, so that happens anytime you take a picture and it'll autom excuse me, automatically start to read it. Yes, there'll be a pause because it's processing it. As you it have to be it. within the app, Brian, in order for yes. you to do that then? You have to be in the app yeah. for this to work that way. And the app is called Be My Eyes. Go there to Be My Eyes. Well, in fact, just go to the app store, put in Be My Eyes. It'll find it, load it onto your system, answer the login questions, um, and you're off to the races. Okay, so I I have be my eyes, but I don't know how to log in. I mean, I heard you say, so you have to log in and get your password. First time when you're doing the setup for it requires that you put in a username and some other identifying information, like the model of your lawnmower, for example, something like that, something useful. Again, just enough so that it knows who you are. It will learn a bit of what you tend to do, but they do not share your data with uh, ChatGPT. So it's not learning from you. It's a matter of privacy again. Anyway, how's my time? Last question. Last question. One more question or comment. Nothing, nothing on Zoom. We got nothing. Nobody on Zoom. Nope. All right. I'm going to let you all go. But again, do this. There's not a reason not to. Thank you very much, Brian. Um, let me mention one other thing. This, um, of course, Be My Eyes has been around for quite a while with, you know, volunteers and, you know, who could... Uh, 
you'd have them access your camera. They'll describe stuff to you. That's still all part of it. And this went through a you know pretty long six months beta process, and then it started roll out to everybody. I think a month or two ago, and I'm pretty sure now that you know anybody who downloads it will get the full blown with the Be My AI because I had a student last week who downloaded it and it was there, so it should be available to everybody now. It was not available to everybody like a couple of months ago or so. Okay, so next up. Um, we are happy to have uh, some uh, some guests from the outside world. Um, from uh, ACB, we're going to have a session now on some of three of the special interest affiliates that we have at national level. Uh, Alliance for Aging and Vision Loss, that is AAVL, Library Users of America, LUA, and diabetes in action. And well, we picked those three just because we thought they might be of interest to you. And our speakers will are, I wanna make sure I got it right. And all of these people have extensive uh, national experience with ACB and various functions, but speaking for uh, AAVL, Alliance on Aging and Vision Lost is going to be Jeff Tom. Jeff is is calling in from us to us from California. Paul Edwards, who is the past president of LUA, Library Users of America, and and Larry Gassman uh, from California, uh, who will be uh, currently the vice president of um, Diabetes in Action. That's like I said, he's from California. I forgot to say, Paul Edwards is from Florida. So a not multinational, but multi-statal uh, presentation we have here. So if Jeff is there, um, Jeff, thanks for being with us. And maybe you can start by talking a little bit about what AAVL uh, does and how people uh, could get involved uh, if they wanted to. Okay, thank you. Uh, I do want to note that all three of these speakers, myself first, obviously, are all members of the Alliance on Aging and Vision Law. So there you go. Um, <clears throat> the uh, By the way, it's just as rainy in California today as it is in Massachusetts. So um, take that for what you will. Um, the Alliance on Aging and Vision Loss is the affiliate for excuse me, for seniors with vision loss, although you don't have to be any particular age to join us. And what I'd like to do is tell you a little bit about many of the things that we do to uh, improve the lives and opportunities and services for people who are blind or who have low vision uh, and are seniors. We, we do have a very robust website with lots of information on it. I urge you to look at it. There's many, many different categories and types of things. Um, Sandy Troiano uh, is really diligent and hardworking in terms of um, putting things up on that site, and we um, urge people to look at it. The site is aavl-blind dash seniors with an s dot org it's a little long but aavl dash blind dash seniors dot org so that's one of the things that we have we have a um uh 
group on Tuesday afternoons uh, that Sandy also runs at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, um, which is uh, geared toward those who are um, suffering uh, difficulties due to recent vision loss. And the calls, I haven't been on too many of them lately. I was on many of them before, but schedules being what they are. But these calls um, can make you cry. They can make you laugh. They are very informative. The, the topics can range from, you know, um, soup to nuts. I remember on one call we heard about how uh, a, uh, I won't tell who it was, although I'm sure he would admit it, but it, it it occurred at Perkins, actually, when this person was a student, and he had someone, he was ice skating with someone on his shoulders, and he fell, I think, and broke his arm. So uh, you, you hear all sorts of funny things. You hear deeply sad things. You gain a lot of information. And I urge people, um, even if you um, have not, are not one who has been losing sight recently, but just wants to share information and, and share your thoughts, um, with others to experience some of these community calls. Um, at, at, uh, we also have our other community call that we sponsor is usually on the third, um, third Monday at uh, 2 p.m. Eastern. This time, because of Thanksgiving, it will be on the fourth Monday. We've done things from scams to fall prevention to emergency preparedness to housing options, which was a recent call that really uh, was very popular with folks. Travel. This week's uh, call, or this, I should say, the call on the 27th will uh, feature our mental health chair, Pam Shaw, talking about the holidays, which, as we know, for um, people can be very isolating and um, can cause really real problems. And, of course, it's isolating enough when you're losing your vision and, you, you know, you're, you're going through potentially anger and grief and depression. So, you know, this kind of call can be really important for that population, as it is for many of us. Um, we focus many of our activities on advocacy, but before I get to that, um, we also have a new um, initiative called AAVL Cares, where you can um, get in touch with our organization and some of our members will call you whether you need information or whether you just want to talk and share um, what's bothering you or maybe you just feel isolated and want somebody to talk to. And finally, um, as any excellent affiliate should, we focus on advocacy, and we've done a number of things in the advocacy realm. We have become very involved as sort of the, I would say, the um, representative with the Aging and Vision Loss National Coalition. We are the one consumer organization on that coalition, which has uh, works very, very hard on senior issues. Um, we work, we initiated a couple of years ago, a survey 
of Area Agency on Aging to see whether these entities were adequately serving um, people who are blind or who have low vision. And not surprisingly, we found in most instances they were not. Our, um, we have a number of other advocacy areas in which we work, but our current initiative, which I think is extremely important, is that next year, the Older Americans Act is hopefully going to be reauthorized. The Older Americans Act funds programs through area agencies on aging, but very little funding from that, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in federal funds goes to fund services for people who are blind. And principally that is because vision loss and vision rehabilitation services are not mentioned in the Older Americans Act. And so we are starting with the appropriate Senate committees. That's what we're, what we're doing now. And then in January, we're going to switch to the House. So um, in fact, there's uh, uh in the senate senator warren is one of those senators and we have people like jane perry working right now on getting senator warren um you know to support um reauthorizing the act to include references to vision loss and vision rehabilitation for two reasons one of which i just mentioned so that we will have more funding for our services and the other so that these agencies and the programs they fund will like senior centers will reach out and embrace people who are blind or who have low vision because in, in actuality a lot of times they don't reach out to us and if they do they try to ignore us so that's our current initiative we um invite people to, we have had community calls about it we'll have more in january um, it is certainly not limited to seniors or members of AAVL. In fact, some of the people who are working with us right now to reach out to senators are not AAVL members. Um, we encourage you to join. You can um, join on our website, uh, dues are $15. We do have a few state affiliates, uh, a two right now, and we understand that Georgia is organizing a third. So. Um, we certainly encourage affiliates um, to join us. And uh, I, if there's time for questions at the end, I'm happy to answer them. But I'd like to move us on to our next speaker. So thank you very much. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, so, yeah, I think what we'll do is we'll have each of the speakers speak and then we'll open it up uh, to questions after that. So next up is Paul Edwards, who's going to talk a little bit about Library Users for America. Lua, he is not a stranger to here because uh, Paul actually came to our last social event at Not Your Average Joe's, and I got to meet him for the first time, other than via Zoom or something. So Paul, thank you for agreeing to speak to us today, and um, the floor is with you, if you're there. He is there. I saw him earlier, so he's here. You he may be muted. Paul, uh, unmute. Rick, do you know where Paul is? I mean, he's there, but he's 
unmuted and he's not, we're not hearing him. So, okay. Uh, maybe Larry, would you mind going next? That okay? Would you like me to make up stuff about Paul or do my own thing? Well, you may not have been here, but we just uh, can you guys hear me now? Conduct policy, so you're really not allowed to discuss Paul right now. Oh, then we should give it back to Paul, who is now okay. in. Paul, are you there now? I think I'm here now. You are. You are here or there or somewhere now. Yes. Thank you, Paul. And um, <clears throat> floor is with you. Very good. Well, hello, Massachusetts. I'm so glad. I'm so glad to see that I spoke to no one for a while. I always enjoyed talking to myself. I think I meet a better class of people that way. Um, but it is my pleasure to talk a little bit about Library Users of America. We've been around since around 1980 and have tried over the past 40-odd uh, years to make a difference in the way that libraries serve people who are blind. We have lots of activities, as AAVL does, um, we have a publication, and AVL does too, but Jeff didn't talk about it. I'm sure he will when he comes back, called the Lua Ledger that is currently coming out uh, twice, sometimes three times a year. It's generally a publication that's 60 to 80 pages uh, in Braille. Not only does it have articles on libraries, but it also has articles on new products and things that you might use to read library items. So... Uh, it's, uh, I, we think, an exciting publication. We do a bi-monthly program every two months called Library Without Walls, where we pick a particular topic and then encourage people to uh, come up with two books that fit that topic. Next time, we're going to be talking about horror, and we're looking forward to that. Um, this last time, we, we did books on World War II, one of, the, one of the cool things is if you're a member of library users, and I'll talk a little bit about how you can do that in a minute, um, you get the list of all of the books that are discussed in library with, without walls uh, sent to your email um, soon after the library without walls program is finished. We also do an irregular um, program between conventions called Lua Links. And over the next year, we're going to be doing two sessions uh, on the new e-readers that NLS has available, particularly direct training on the Zoomax and direct training on the, the Humanware e-reader. And after that, we have some other plans for uh, Lua Links as well. So keep your eye out for those. Anyone is welcome to sign up for our kind of general interest uh, email list, which is called Library Talks, and you can find it on the ACB list of lists. If you are interested in joining Library Users of America, you can do that um, by um, contacting Carla Rushable, who is our new president of Library Users. Uh, by calling 502-897-1472. She can take PayPal stuff. Membership in Lua is $12 a year. Uh, we think it's well worth it. We think not only our publications are good, but the fellowship within Lua is also pretty exciting. One of the things that we believe uh, is, is important is to continue to ask both the Library of Congress and other libraries that provide services such as Bookshare to be certain that the kinds of services they're, that they're providing are appropriate and effective. And so 
we constantly try to interact and meet with members from all of those places on a regular basis. During convention, uh, library users and the Braille Rival League have meetings with uh, not only national narrators, but also with directors of NLS in order to be sure that we have a chance to talk with them directly about the quality of the services that they provide. Like Jeff, I'll be glad to answer any questions that folks have, but let me stand aside for Mr. Gassman. Okay. And Larry Gassman, you are up to talk about uh, Diabetics in Action. Interesting. This, isn't, this was not planned, but Jeff talked about the fact that all of us who are speaking are members of AABL. Uh, I am a member of ACBDA, of course, and Lua, and AABL, um, and because, and, and you know, really, why did I join those three plus a lot more? Um, uh, it probably came down to passion, because I knew that all of these organizations had a direct bearing on me and my life going forward. Certainly AABL, as you, as you get older, uh, I'm 68, which is relatively young in, in some parameters because there's people older than I am. But I realized long ago that some of the things that we as, as blind people in particular have to worry about are how we're being treated as we grow older. And I wanted to be a part of that. Uh, I'm not the biggest advocate, advocacy person because I didn't learn a lot about that going in, but I'm learning now and I'm happy to be with the AVL. I've been reading Braille since I was probably five or six and have a passion about Braille. And I read it every day. And all the radio work that I do, it's, it's constant because you got to read commercials. Or in some cases, you just have to read things that are specific to radio. So I do a lot of Braille reading. I was diagnosed with diabetes uh, type 2 in 2002. I learned about it on my honeymoon. What a great way to learn about it. And... Um, then went to the doctors and found out I was I was actually a type two diabetic, which means I still um, use pills in order to to minimize the diabetes. It doesn't go away, but to control it. Um, the type one diabetes people generally are are dependent on insulin that they need, so they need pens or pumps. Uh, in, with insulin in order to actually deal with that. I'm not going to go into the weeds here specifically, but I am going to tell you about our organization and some of the things that we do. We began about 2005. Uh, Chris Gray was uh, president at that time, I think, and was involved in ACBDA, if not from the beginning, uh, early on. And uh, D. Clayton was our first president and... Um, it was, a, it was really a grassroots organization of people who wanted to know more about diabetes. You know, what could they eat? What couldn't they eat? What kinds of things could they use to measure their blood sugars, etc.? And it grew from there, got bigger and bigger. And uh, probably over the last five or so years, uh, when Chris Gray, Chris Gray became president and, and now Tom Tobin, we've been working hard on advocacy and also doing meetings 
which I'll get to in just a second, with people who had specific knowledge and interests about diabetes. In many cases, it was from an educational standpoint, and these were doctors and professors and people from the American Diabetes Association who had specific knowledge and were willing to impart it to us. So we have on our website, which by the way is acbda.org, we have almost every meeting since about 2019 about various aspects of diabetes. Uh, and that means through monthly meetings and conventions. And uh, I'll talk about the monthly meetings and the conventions first, and then we'll get a little bit into advocacy as well. But we also have a newsletter uh, that comes out quarterly as well. Uh, Becky Dunkerson has been doing it now for the last several years, and uh, she has had to relinquish that, and Sugar Lopez has been doing it for the last few months and will continue to do it. And uh, it comes out uh, quarterly to our members. Now, the meetings, as I was telling you, are done monthly. They are heard on the second Wednesday of each month, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific, not only through Zoom. So if you're a member, you'll automatically get the information. And it's on ACB Media 5 on Community. And then I usually stream them and edit them and put them up. And uh, we have one coming up in December as well. A lot of times in December, we talk about what do you do during the holidays when food is definitely an issue? What can you eat safely? What can you not eat and probably maybe should stay away from? As you become more acquainted with the diabetic uh, disease, you, you begin to know these kinds of things uh, just based on, on talking to people. We, we as diabetics do a lot of networking as well as uh, uh, it, when I'm in other organizations as well. But, but diabetes has a direct outcome on the things you do to prolong and make your life even better. Um, and so we talk about these kinds of things in December. And then you know maybe in February, since it's heart month, uh, we have in the past talked about diabetes. How does it affect your heart? Uh, so we plan these meetings. They're done monthly as well. I talked about the, the webpage and Jeff Bishop and Randy Knapp um, had that aspect of, of uh, ACB uh, Diabetics in Action. And most of our meetings and conventions are up there now. More to put up. And each month we put them up as well because we have a lot of different diverse people in our organization and they want to know about certain topics about diabetes. And this is how we help because we're a support tool as well. We make sure that whatever knowledge we have will be imparted to people who might be brand new. Maybe they just turned, they just found out they were diabetic a month ago and they're going, well, what, what do I do? And they get turned on to our, our organization and we're there to help. Um, we also do monthly calls. In fact, there's one later on this afternoon. We do two a month and it's more in line with, well, what would you like to talk about? You're here with a lot of veteran people, maybe you're brand new, and there's something you haven't learned about diabetes. What would you like to talk about? Ask your question. We perhaps can help you, and if we can't, we can point you in the right direction. So we do that as well. There's all kinds of information, and we're, from an advocacy standpoint, several of the resolutions that went to CCB came from CCB and went to ACB this year and were 
uh, written by some of our our people, Chris Gray, Charles Navarrete, among others. Uh, Veronica Elsie wrote one as well. And because we're all passionate about this, we all know that this disease affects us directly. And so we do what we can, and advocacy is, is a huge part of what we're doing. Uh, continuous glucose monitors are so important to us. You don't have to prick your finger necessarily anymore. You can actually use a monitor that reads your diabetes on a real-time basis. Uh, and you have a much better idea as to how you're doing. Do you need to stop eating such and such? Uh, the, the, the monitors will help. Unfortunately, in many cases, if you're on insurance, they don't always pay for it. It's getting a little better now, but slightly. And so we are advocating to try and get that to change so that anybody who is in need and has to use, for instance, Medicare, will have access to continuous glucose monitors. So that's a large, large process, and it's not going to happen overnight. But we're here for the people who are brand new diabetics, and we are, in many cases, probably a, the best-kept secret in town in terms of an affiliate. You would think that there would be a lot of people interested, but and there are. We've got, uh, I think, 120 117 as of last year. And that number is growing. So there are a lot of people, though, who don't know anything about what we do. And we encourage them to not only look at our website, but also if you have interest in knowing more about us, it's $10 a year for the dues. And the email address to write to is a pretty simple one. It's ACBDA, which stands for ACB Diabetics in Action. So ACBDAORG at gmail.com and we will get back to you and you can join an email list where if you ask a question 99 times out of 100 you will get a response so in a nutshell i guess i've done almost 10 minutes maybe and uh i could go a lot longer but we don't have that kind of time but we're all here interested in helping you get the knowledge that you need and we hope you will all perhaps look at all of our different organizations and be a part of it because that's what it's all about sharing Thank you, David. Thank you. Thank you. So we 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 have a decent amount of time for QA. I'm going to take the chair's prerogative and maybe ask the first question. Uh, it's primarily to um, to Jeff, but Larry and Paul, you might have an opinion on this too. I don't know. Um, here in uh, BSCB on the third Thursday of every month, we do a Zoom call on a topic of some sort. And one or two months back, we invited a representative of the Massachusetts AARP to talk to us about what they do. And um, with also the idea of maybe, uh, you know, developing some, you know, doing some things together on the advocacy front. Um, one thing, uh, so a question I have, it would seem to me that a natural partner potentially for uh, advocacy efforts or AAVL and well ACB in general also would be AARP. Um, we don't, you know, we all know about the power of that organization uh, as a lobbying organization at the national level. Um, the sense I get is that we really haven't done much with AARP. So my question is, is that perception a correct one on that on my part? And if so, um, why have we not? necessarily done more with them and but then also maybe i'm wrong so uh that's my question um what have we done with aarp 
Could we be doing more? Are there reasons why we're not? Are there reasons why they're not interested in working with us? Uh, that's my question. So, David, that's a very good question. Um, and I'll answer it in, in two different parts. The AARP Foundation is sort of a legal arm of AARP. And some things have been done. Um, they tend to uh, have a little better outreach in terms of getting involved in things. And they have been involved in certain cases uh, that impact, excuse me, people who are blind or have low vision. With AARP itself, however, that hasn't been a, a very um, positive relationship so far. It got off to a bad start years ago because they did not and still do not put any of their materials in Braille and large print. You can get modern maturity through NLS, which is their magazine, um, but uh, that's about it. Um, I have found, and I'm not the only one, um, that even though I have, I know someone quite well in California at AARP, I have not found them to be as receptive as other advocacy organizations to working closely with us. I hope I am wrong and I hope my, um, and, and I'm not the only one to say this, I hope my experience is uh, perhaps erroneous and others will do better. But as of now, I can't claim that things are going well. However, we still need, just like where we work with Justice and Aging and other groups, we need to continue trying mm -hmm. to crack the uh, AARP nuts, so to speak. So don't know if either of the other two of you have any thoughts on that, but. That's my this my is Paul Edwards. Lua has tried to reach out to AARP, and we we were certainly encouraging of of NLS to begin to provide their their magazines with the hope that that with with both the bulletin and modern maturity being made available through NLS, uh, AARP would recognize and 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 consider taking involvement with people who are blind more seriously than they do. Um, we've even had blind people who work for AARP in the past and have tried to work through them to get AARP uh, to, to be more involved and more inclusive of people who are blind. But the truth is um, that, that I think we're considered to be very small fry and, and, and they are so much larger an organization than we are and so much more interested in broad sweeps of the political brush than than we can ever hope to be that i just don't think they perceive us as being very important the one area that that we do have in common with them although they're a lot more focused on it than we do is um looking into long-term care benefits at the state level because these long-term care benefits can include vision rehabilitation services. So um, if you're in a state and AARP is pitching this sort of thing, I urge you to keep that in mind. I'd like to raise one other issue, if I could, an advocacy issue that we're having. And I raise it for you folks in Massachusetts because of all the great medical facilities. And you may end up, you know, uh, being able to get some traction on this issue. 
We are currently in the process of writing the Alzheimer's Association, which is a great organization, by the way. They are the biggest non-government funding funder of uh, research into Alzheimer's and other forms of dementia. From what we can gather, almost all protocols for diagnosing dementia are visual in nature. And obviously that excludes many of us. And so it's an issue that I think we need to be mindful of. And if you have connections or uh, can consider other ways that we haven't thought of to um, delve into this issue and, and make some uh, and, and get some funding devoted to non-visual protocols or do some other things that can help, I am certainly open to hearing what you might have to say, because this is, I think, a really important issue and one that has gotten very little uh, traction so far. So I just wanted to raise that. And yes, we do, as Paul uh, put me in my place, I did forget to mention our quarterly newsletter, The Hourglass. So thank you for that, Paul. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, now we'll uh, entertain some other questions. Hello, everybody. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Larry. Hi, Paul. I could not Hi be there. without calling in and saying hello. And I just want to add my two cents worth. I am a member of both AAVL and Diabetes in Action. And they have been very near and dear to my heart. And um, they've helped me in my journey tremendously and still continue. And I hope to join Lua because I was a library trustee in Falmouth in 2000 to 2003. And I gave up my seat to run for select person. <laughs> that was a joke. Anyway, um, I want to say, and I want to put a plug in for AAVL support call on Tuesday. This was one of my first community calls that I joined was in and out of Silos, which is sponsored by AAVL. I don't miss it on Tuesdays unless I have something very, very important. I rearranged my schedule again around it. When I was at the Carroll Center, I called in. When I was in rehab, I called in. We've become a community. The people that are on this call, I consider myself a charter member. That there are people on that call, they're on regulars, and we don't hear from each other. It's like, well, where is this person? The same thing with diabetes in action. They're having a chat call tonight, and I will be on it. So... I just want to put a plug for all these special interests. I have two other ones that I'm involved with, and I join to join two more. And my goal next year is to hopefully get to national convention and meet everybody that I talk to and participate with Zoom. I love you all. You have changed my life tremendously. I don't think I could be where I am today without you all. So I thank you 110% from my heart. And keep on, keep on doing what you do for everybody in our affiliates that you are that are special interests. Thank you very much for allowing me to share. Thank you, Jane. You know, the community has gotten us some wonderful members uh, and Jane is definitely one of them. She makes those uh, Tuesday afternoon calls just so much more amazing by her presence. So I want to give Thank a shout out for her. Thank you, Jane. Thank you. Okay, uh, do we have somebody in the room with a hand raised? Any questions in the room? And of course, our secretary is the amazing Sharon, who I would assume uh -huh. is in the yep. room there. Yeah. 
Sharon used to edit our our Lua newsletter as well. Right. I'm just saying hi to Jeff and Paul and get and Larry. <laughs> and um I want to agree that 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 AAVL and Lua, which I'm a member of both, have been very instrumental in my life. Um, I was really involved in a scholarship committee and the students for quite a long time. And now I've focused more on the seniors because that's what I am. <laughs> but it's very comforting to know that as you grow older and have to consider the options uh, for life, um, that you're not alone. And that's, I think, really, really important. So if anybody here uh, on Zoom or in the room has questions about AAVL or Lua, I'd be very glad to help out. And if you want to pay dues, I'll help you do that too. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon. Sharon got we on appreciate board you, when Sharon. I was president, and I really, what an amazing job that you continue to do, Sharon, just got to say. I forgot to mention that we actually have um, three state affiliates uh, of uh, Lua, um, one of them in Texas, one in California, and one a kind of a tri-state Lua chapter centered in Kentucky. And no other questions. Anyone on Zoom? No, nobody on Zoom. Okay. I no can't problem. claim we're as interesting as AI is, though. That's a pretty darn no, that's, interesting that's true. commodity. That's true. <laughs> Maybe could we take advantage to you three, you have extensive experience in ACB, and I'm sure with some other uh, special interest affiliates that are not represented here today. Would you want to say something else about some of the other ones that you have had um, experience with? Guess well, I, I could know. Start. Well, go ahead. You go. Uh, I I could start. I won't be long, Jeff, uh, and talk a little bit about the Braille Revival League, which I think is very important. Everybody thinks that because technology is coming along and because we can use QR codes and because there's a whole range of technological options, Braille isn't as important and it isn't as relevant. Um, I believe, and the Braille Revival League believes, that Braille is absolutely crucial to ensuring that uh, people who are blind can optimize their inclusion and involvement in our society. And one of the things that's coming up that I want to draw everybody's attention to is going to happen on January 4th. And that is going to be a, uh, a kind of a Braille Day celebration that the Braille Revival League is going to be sponsoring that will start at noon and go right through until 8 o'clock on the 4th of January, which is Lewis Braille's birthday. We are very excited about this program. We have all kinds of cool people involved. Keep your eye on it. It will be on on Zoom. Uh, it will be on ACB Media. And we hope that everybody from Massachusetts will get involved and demonstrate just how deeply involved you are in protecting and advancing um, the, the, the value of Braille. Uh, so end have, of commercial oh, announcement. Go ahead, Jeff. I have just two quick things. First, I almost forgot this. And... Larry Johnson would kill me if he heard, knew that I did. On February 10th from uh, 4 to 6 Eastern, we will be having a community call to celebrate the 25th anniversary of AAVL. And I won't tell you any more about it than that, but tune in because it's going to be all sorts of fun. But uh, I did want to mention Vision Impaired Veterans of America, and that organization has 
uh, had some down times, but I think it's now starting to really, um, uh, and I think they've actually changed their name yep. Um, yep. a little slightly, but they're really uh, generating some interest. And I suspect next year, as many of you may know, we're going to be holding our convention jointly with the Blind and Veterans Association. And I suspect that will give a real opportunity to uh, enhance the foot the uh, footprint of our veterans organization. So I want to put in a plug for them and anyone you might know who is blind or low vision and has served in our armed forces. They are now veterans of ABC. ABC. Nice going, Larry. Uh, veterans of ACB, that's their new name. Kathy, Cassie Trasper is the president. And uh, you'll see more and more about that because they are also doing some membership things as well. So we wish them well. Uh, I'm involved in a lot of stuff. I'll tell you quickly that one of the things that I do mostly now is work for ACB. I was not interested in a job when I retired, but I'm glad I took this one. Um, I, I'm a contractor, so I work part-time, but I'm their coordinator, their media coordinator, and um, we could not be happier with all the accolades and nice things that people say about us. Um, Rick Morin is the driving force behind this. Uh, I'm involved. Cecily is involved. Joyce and so many others, so many streamers, so many editors. And on the 26th, of course, is the ACB auction. And we hope that many of you will take advantage of the opportunity to bid on lots of stuff, including maybe Brian Charlson's cookies. I hear you coming six dozen this year. Six dozen, it and, wouldn't uh, surprise me. They are good. And, and, and we and the auction that, supports ACB Media. Absolutely. And that's so, exactly right. And that's yeah. all it supports. It doesn't support other ACB activities. This auction is just for ACB Media. And we're astounded every year at the kind of money it generates. We are, not, we are very appreciative uh, and we don't take it lightly. And we're so happy that so many of you get so many hours out of ACB Media because it's a very small team that does a lot of that work and we're happy to do it. And uh, so uh, that's that's the other big affiliate uh, that it's not even affiliate. It's a jo it's a part time job for me, but it, we all enjoy it and we're all trying to get some things out of it that will make you guys happy. Do we have any other questions? Yes. Or comments. You. All right. We'll Going take it. towards Jeanette. One second. Hi, Paul. Since I'm on the line, it's last. How are you doing, darling? Good. Good. Mr. Dent. <laughs> so my question is for Larry, and I have had the pleasure of working with you as a host and have um, recently committed to the Get Up and Get Moving campaign. And we will be working with ACB Media in conjunction with Diabetics to do an expo on December 1st. Yes. Um, accessible pharmacy. Accessible pharmacy. It's kind of exciting. Uh, anyway, my question is to you about this. One of the lacks that I'm very aware of is there's a lot of audio stuff regarding um, 
things that are available for diabetics and when it talks to food exchanges and how people should combine foods. But I'm astounded that in this day and age, there are very few what I consider good, reliable, easy-to-use Braille resources. I have not found in my research that the American Dietetic Association is very interested in those of us who read Braille and would prefer Braille. Has ACBDA gotten involved with them at all to promote this medium? We've talked with the American Diabetes Association, but we have, and we're starting to compile resources. Uh, I don't know who we are specifically with this organization, but but you're right. There's a lot from a digital perspective, a great deal, but not as much. There are some recipe books, etc. But there's there's not a lot on diabetes with regard to that have been written in Braille. So I will take that back to our board, and we will chat about that and see what we can do to to what's that along just a little bit. And let, let me mention one thing as well that, that kind of uh, relates to both Braille and to library users. One of the things that the Library of Congress has introduced is a thing called Braille on Demand. And the way that Braille on Demand works is anyone can request one book a month um, that you would like. When you make that request, uh, the book will come to you and you do not have to return it. And I think that that would probably mean that many of the books that are available on NLS, and granted, there may not be too many of them, but there are quite a few um, that relate directly to exchanges and to diabetic cooking, can actually be ordered and 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 be kept at home. So that's something that you guys might want to consider as an option as well. We will take a look. Uh, Larry, Paul, and uh, Jeff, let me thank you on behalf of BSCB for we coming We do have today. one more question in the room. This uh, is Miss Judy Dixon. Okay, well, last question, Judy. Just an update. Paul, that number has been changed. It's now five books a month that you can get on Braille On Demand. Wow. Oh, my goodness. My house couldn't hold them. We, we could take over the house. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, though, Judy. I, I appreciate knowing that. Thank you. Okay. Well, again, thank you all. Um, you heard from some of the testimonials here from Jane, Sharon, and others, how much the work you do is appreciated and the, the affiliates that you are part of, as well as all the other things you do in ACB. So, again, thank you uh, so much for spending a little bit of time with us. Stick around because the rest of the time to 4 p.m. EST is officially fun time. So you can stick around for that if you wish. Uh, but again, thank you very much. And thank have you, a good rest of the day. So um, we all had a too big lunch. Jeanette is going to help us work off that lunch right now. She's going to come back and have us move around a little bit more. David, why don't you do door prizes while I'm moving up. Okay, so uh, we've got two remaining door prizes. Elizabeth Ann, you want to uh, fire up, what's your name? Uh, 
firing up Siri as we speak. Oh, great. Thank you. Okay. All right. The sixth door prize that we have is from Kim. A second uh, talking clock. And let me get Siri out here. The time is seven. That's not that, theory that, talking. Yeah. We don't have any 317s, I'm afraid. That, <laughs> that was last week. Uh, Siri gave us a number 12. I don't know who's number 12. Dennis Polselli. Oh. Dennis Polselli. Dennis. And our final door prize, this is your last chance, all of you out there. So Final door prize is a $25 gift card again from Bath, what is it? Bath and Body Works. <laughs> yes. Hey, Sarah, give us a number between one and 61. A random number between one and 61 is 44. Leslie Charlson. Thank you on behalf of the social committee team. Thank you. That was fun. Hello again. We are going to get up and get moving. Once again, if Leslie Spoon is I am here, through, Jeanette. Jeanette, I'm here. I'm excellent. here. So I want you to remind people what they should not do. I'm sure. not going to repeat the instructions about the moves because you guys all caught on. Just going to teach you one new one. Can you hear me okay? Yes, you're okay, great. great. Wonderful. So happy afternoon, everybody, on this wonderful Saturday. Um, just remember, if you're standing, to keep your knees slightly bent with your feet shoulder-width apart. That's not too far apart. And your abs are tight, and your head is up, and your shoulders are back and down, and you are smiling and having fun. All right. The only move I did not teach you last time is called step touch. When I say step touch, you are going to take your right foot from its original position where you're standing, put it out to the right, and drag your left foot to it. Then you're going to take your left foot back to the left and drag your right foot to it. Actually, Jeanette, you don't want to drag. Yeah, they want to pick it up. So take your right foot out to three. Bring your left foot to meet your right foot. Don't drag it. Your left foot will go out to nine. Your right foot will meet your left foot. I would foot. say drag it, but it's okay. Yeah. yeah, so just so people know not to drag. So I thought it might be easier because of the carpet because uh, they're not on. Actually, it's better if you are on carpet to pick it up a little bit. All right, yeah. so pick it up. All right, with that said, the instructions will be the same. Tap front, tap side, elbow to knee. March wide, march regular, and step touch. And Rick, we're ready for the afternoon song. Right, front, left, front, right, front, left. Knees up, knees up. March, march. Tap right, tap left, tap right, 
tap left, tap front, tap left front, tap right front, tap left front, elbow to knee, and left, and right knee, and left, right elbow. Make sure you're standing right tall. Knee, left elbow. Knee, it's your right elbow. Right knee, it's your left elbow. Two more. Right and left. Tap, jack. In, in. Out, out, in, in. Out, out, in, in. Out, out, in, in. Tap, front. Tap front, tap front, tap front, tap front, tap front, tap front, tap touch, tap touch, remember lift that foot up, step touch, step touch right, step touch left, step touch right, step touch left. Backs out, out, in, in, out, out, in, in, out, out, in, in, out, out, in, in. March wide. Knee up. Right knee. Left knee. Right knee. Elbow to knee. Elbow to knee. Elbow to march wide. Left knee, elbow to knee. Right, uh, right knee, left elbow. Left knee, right elbow. Right knee, left elbow. Left knee, right elbow. Right knee, left elbow. Left knee, right elbow. Tap front. Tap front. And did we end? Yeah. We are done. You guys did a great job. Thank Good you, job, Leslie, Jeanette. for your You're help welcome. as well. You're welcome. Good job, everybody. Don't forget, if you want any more classes, come to one of mine on the community. Check it out. <laughs> we laugh a lot and we have fun. Thank you very much, Jeanette. I uh, I think I pulled a muscle, but I've got till Monday to recover. So that's the good news there. Okay. Yep. So um, you've worked off a little bit of lunch there. Now we have more fun coming. Uh, I don't know exactly what it is, though. That's part of the fun. So I think uh, Rosemary Miller and Elizabeth Ann Johnson, you have something planned for us. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Do you have a microphone? You will need a microphone for comedy. You want to come up? I think you shouldn't be in the back of the room hiding there. You guys want to come up? I was waiting for them. I was thinking we could sing together the battle hymn of the Republic, if anybody knows that, because I don't. But, you know, that's Samuel Ridley Howe's better half wrote that one. I think it's a catchy tune. The vintage where the grapes of wrath are sold. So this is Rosemary Miller from Uptown Roxbury. And I have Miss Elizabeth Ann Johnson from Cambridge. Yay! And we are going to do some icebreaker questions. Um, so we're not going to do the comments still right now. The first questions are going to be for 
the board of Bay State Council for some of you all who may not know them. So we're going to ask them the first questions. David Kingsbury, the president. Yay! For David Kingsbury, the question is... Want to give him the question? Oh, you got to tell him because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the technology question for David Kingsbury is: If you had a choice between your computer or your cell phone, which would you give up? If you had a choice between your computer or your cell phone, David Kingsbury, which one would you give up? I even have a sentence about that in my book because um, uh, for me, my computer is essential for my work, but my cell phone is essential for my life. So if I was on a street corner, didn't know where I was, didn't know how to get an Uber, I could survive without my computer. I'd be unemployed the rest of my life, but I could still get off of the street corner with my cell phone. So no doubt about it, my iPhone is my you know, tool for survival, whereas maybe we'll say my computer tool for success, but got to be my phone. Got to stick with my phone. All right. I got out of that. <laughs> so Sharon. 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 Uh, Sharon, Sharon, you're a board member. Can you let them know? <laughs> is she a board member? Oh, okay. Childhood um, actor slash actress that you had a crush on. Sharon? I'm going to change it to musician. Okay. Uh, well, we, want, we want we want we want people on the mic. Yeah, right, right. Mike and Mike are here. It's coming. It's coming. Come on, runner. It's coming. Come on, runner. It's coming. 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 It's when I was 12, of course, there were a million other girls who had the same crush, but that didn't matter to me because I knew that he would like me the best. <laughs> the silly love song. Yes, she was there. Yeah, everybody's been allowed to talk on the Zoom side. So anybody that wants to jump in on Zoom, just go right ahead. Myra had been there before. Yeah. Okay, she's gone. Who's the next board member? I'm going to say Pam Locke. Pam, we know you're here, right? Yes. Okay, yeah. question yeah. number two. Got it. On my way. You have your own late night talk show. Who do you invite as your first guest? You had a question? Yes, I did. I'm thinking. The person could be dead or alive. Why do we say that? Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Wanted. Oh, dead or alive. Um. 
question again. <laughs> I would say um, John Kennedy. Say that. Oh, yeah. What was it? Why? And why? And why? Because he had such an influence on us, and he was a great president. Starting now. Yeah, I won't learn the Heimlich again until Monday. So. <laughs> song. Holly, help me with a good song. <laughs> um, That'd be a song that you'd help. Can you go to the next person and I'll take some time to think? No, no. Rick is um, Diana Leonard on the Zoom. Diana, are you there? I don't think so. Can you hear me? Yeah, Diana's there. Is Diana okay? Sorry, I I didn't hit the thing to unmute um because I was afraid to make noise while everybody was talking. <laughs> okay, okay. okay. Here's, here comes your question, Diana. Okay. What mics are not working? This one doesn't have a mic. Working. It's probably turned off. On the bottom of the screen. I'm right here. Yep. Here's the question. What was your least favorite food as a child? Do you still hate it or do you grow to love it now? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, I think my least favorite food as a child was probably oatmeal because like it was a texture thing. Um, but like I, I did grow to love it, like not love it, but like I do like it. Like I will eat it occasionally. It's pretty good. But yeah, when I was a kid, uh, I could not. <laughs> you know, Bill. You know what my favorite, my food was that I hate and still hate today was Christophine. What the, is that? Christophine is almost like popcorn. You can boil it what? and mash it, like mash that's pumpkin. American thing. So I, that's okay. I'm, everybody here from different countries. Cultures. No. It's a Christophine. It has little prickles on it. Um, Inky may know about it. And it looks, it's shaped like a pear, like a, um, like a pear? Like a pear? Yeah, okay. like a pear. It's shaped like that. It has little prickles on it. It's green. Oh. And you peel the skin off and you boil it. And you yeah. it's healthy. It's very healthy, but not for me. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Nobody I wants to swallow a porcupine. Why is that we would know about that? <laughs> I have no idea, but I just shared it with you. So now you know. We, we've all been educated now. Yes. That was an education. Right. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, so next. Our next person. Oh, so we've done our board members. Well, that who are present. How about if we do chapter president? So let's go with David Morrison from the Charles River chapter. Yes. Would you like to him to Yes. Okay. What's the question? <laughs> Be nice. If you had to eat one meal, David. Hold on. For the rest of your life, what would be? <laughs> if I had to eat, what would one, it be? One what? One meal for the rest of your life. What would it be? I would be fried chicken. That's a that's a good meal. Well, Leslie says smorgasbord. <laughs> smorgasbord meeting everything. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's cheating. Yeah, cheating. Yeah. Well, uh, of course it would be oatmeal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's not a meal. <laughs> well, you can make a meal out of it. Not really. Put bananas on top and maple syrup and uh, and milk. You eat when you like. He eats what he likes, right? Yeah, what would the meal be, Dick? Go to a meal? Yeah, your meal. A steak and blue cheese salad. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Steak and blue cheese. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Our, our, yeah, our next one is our newly elected President Jeanette Kutesh of the Boston chapter. Can I can I ask this question? Yes. Okay. Go ahead. So, because I know Jeanette is a karaoke person. So this question that we asked for Jennifer of Jennifer. Yeah, for Jennifer. Yeah. So the question you have to sing a couple of lyrics of the song. So if you had to pick a song, what song would it be and sing a few lines? Yeah. She's got the mind. Uh -oh. She's got the mind. You've got to love me for what I am. Um, um, oh my God, I forgot the lyrics. I don't know that song. Don't love me if what you expect or hope that I would be. And if you're only using me. To feed your fantasy, you're really not in love, so let me go. What's that song to that? It's You Got to Love Me for What I Am. Oh, yeah. <laughs> tonight, 8 o'clock, community. Jeanette will be there. <laughs> Well, now, no karaoke for Jennifer, though. <laughs> she wants a food question. Oh, a food you question. You cannot okay, sing if you, you cannot asking, sing the Burger King song. If, Sorry. This is for Jennifer. If you were left on, left on a deserted island, hold on. Okay. What, what would you be either with your worst enemy or no one? Which <laughs> Oh, it just says which would you choose and, and why, why, Jennifer? Yeah. So, who would I want to be on a deserted island with? No, either either by yourself or oh, with your worst enemy. Which one oh, totally by myself. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a loner. And, and why? Why? Because no one would interrupt me while I'm napping. Um, <laughs> I could drink my urine and nobody would question me to stay hydrated. 
Haven't people seen the movies? Apologies. All the survival stories. <laughs> What's in that orange soda they tried to serve? <laughs> Oh, all right. Let's let's go with um, because uh, Brian is a uh, last past president. So okay. let's go with Brian. Okay. Ask a question, one Brian Charleston. Okay. okay. Oh, I know which one. Okay, you want the one for Brian? Yeah. Okay, go for it. Uh, can, Brian, if you had to eliminate all the apps but three on your phone, which ones would you keep? If you had to eliminate. <laughs> If you have to eliminate all but three apps on your phone, what would you keep and why? Uh-huh. Hello, Brian. Let's see, I would keep YouTube. I'm addicted. Um, the app that runs my glucose monitor, Freestyle Libre, and um Probably the phone app. I I don't think I will ever ever. <laughs> well, the the phone oh, app I is a name. I should say Bard Mobile. There you go. <laughs> and I do all the Bard Mobile, uh, Bard stuff on my screen. Good good answer. <laughs> uh, Kim also interjects. That's better. That is better. Okay, who's the next? Um, that I mean, those are our leaders. Okay, uh, yeah. So our we, leaders. So should we just like open it up? So we're gonna we're... open it up to the floor for everyone else and on Zoom. Okay, so listen in, Zoomies. <laughs> should we do the Would you rather questions, or if you could? Questions? What about if aliens landed on? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Aliens landed on Earth. Yeah. Tomorrow. Tomorrow. What's the rest? Would you, would you, if, and they wanted to take you back to their planet, would you go? <laughs> Is it planet pizza? Anybody can answer here anyway, in, yeah. in Zoom. Just random, yeah. No, I heard no. Any Zoomies? Any Zoomies? Who, who would go? I can bring some. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you could work <laughs> out. <laughs> you have comments on where to go. Yeah, it would be a different nice. experience. I would go if it was warm. Experience. experience. It would be a different experience. I would go only if it was warm. <laughs> <laughs> I would go if you could work out. <laughs> Uh, yes. I go to no, that's Leslie Boone. I recognize the exercising in her voice. There you go. Everybody yeah. on Zoom that would like to answer the question? What is it? <laughs> the question is. Yes. Which, 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 yeah. Oh, okay. Um, no, everybody's unmuted in Zoom, so jump in, guys. Yeah. I just said I would go if you could work out. It's Leslie Spoon. <laughs> I said I would go if it was warm. Would you go with them? I, would you go, say? I would go if I know I'm going to come back to Earth. <laughs> Jeanette Kuntash said she would go and do yoga with you. Okay, there you go. I'd go <laughs> if I could find my soulmate. Oh, <laughs> oh I should have thought green? of that one. Oh. Doesn't matter if he's green. <laughs> I don't know if anybody can hear. Doesn't him. matter. <laughs> Uh, this is Jerry. Can anybody hear me? Yeah. Oh, okay. I don't know if anybody. Heard it. That's fine. 
All right. The um, next right. one. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. So what about the next one? Was 60, 70, 80, 90. Yeah, that's Jerry, we hear you. Oh, I would go. Okay, Rose, Rose, come closer to this mic. I would only go if it's warm on that planet. Oh, that's Jerry. Uh, that's Jerry. Okay. And if they had birds. Yeah. Yes, that too. Which one is this? This, this is the mic that's working. Okay. So, yeah. Hello. Hello. All right. Would you rather go to a planet that? No, no. What? Like it just—I don't think it's on a planet. It's not a planet. No. Oh. Just, if you could, if you could live in a place. Oh. Okay. Yeah. So if you could live in a place or planet, <laughs> the temperature yeah. is a hundred degrees all the time, or if it's cold, snowy, snowy. What would you rather? Yeah. One hundred degrees. No. Hundred degrees. No. Hundred degrees. Yeah. What? Hundred degrees, definitely. No way. And why would you live someplace where it's 100 degrees all the time? Because I don't yeah. have cold clothes. Floridians. Can I don't have clothes. Floridians out of this? No, no 100 because degrees. I, I'd, I'd be just comfortable. Comfortable for less. Okay. I wouldn't have the right clothes for cold weather. It's Leslie. Okay. <laughs> she only has workout shorts. Yeah. <laughs> so you can wear some sweatpants. <laughs> okay. Is there anyone else that wants to answer the question on Zoom? I would like to be at 70 degrees. No, no. No, it was 100. <laughs> that wasn't a choice. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to ask it. Absolutely. The next one is, what is your guilty pleasure? That's a good one. Keep it clean. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this is Jerry. Mine is jelly. Ice, ice cream. What's your guilty pleasure? pleasure? What is your guilty pleasure? What is your guilty pleasure? I'll say fried chicken. Chocolate chip cookie. Jelly beans. Jelly beans? Yeah. I'd say a chocolate chip cookie. What is your guilty pleasure? Beer? My, my guilty pleasure is martini. Martini? Oh. One Oliver, too. Ah. <laughs> watching the 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 um the housewives on bravo <laughs> any of them <laughs> watching my soap <laughs> days of our lives okay. linda faust says watching my soap, soap opera on days of our lives, days yeah. of our lives. Yeah. and the next one is what is your favorite song from your teenage years and that you that you still sing about when nobody's around. Hey, dude. Yeah. What's my favorite song from my teenage years? I don't know. I have some. I don't remember. All right. Do you want to take a mic like Cam Charlson says the turtles. Oh, yeah. What was your favorite song by the turtles? Together. What song by the turtles, Cam? Um, together. What? Together. Happy together. Yes. Yeah, happy, happy together. together. Happy together. That's a good song. Oh yeah. Yeah. Kim, give us a couple of lyrics. Come on, come on, Kim. Come on, Kim. <laughs> happy together. So everybody else was singing it. Yes. <laughs> me and you. So happy. Me and you and me. <laughs> That's a good song. 
<laughs> it's too hot. It's 100 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Jude from the Beatles. Okay. I said that too. Hey, Jude. Okay. No, no. What was the okay. song? Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Hey, Jude. Take mm -hmm. and make it better. Remember, make it all be on karaoke. Y'all could be on karaoke on community. You're going to do the same thing. I know. I'm going to do the celebrity because you haven't met a celebrity. Yeah, you do that one. Something in the water in Watertown. I don't know. Have you ever met a celebrity? Have you ever met a celebrity? Okay. You want to do that one? Go ahead. Hello. Oh. Has anyone ever met a celebrity? And who yes. was it? Yes. yes. Okay. I have. I have. Okay. Who I don't know if you guys know of Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. Okay. From Las, Las Vegas. Vegas. I've met both Siegfried of them. Siegfried and Roy. Oh, really? So they, who are they? They performed in Las Vegas at many of the hotels with oh. their tight with their famous tigers. Oh, I met a celebrity. What's his name? Oh. Yes. Okay. Goodness I met Andrea Pacelli. Ooh. 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 Nice. I met Andrea Pacelli. The uh, TD Garden. He and his son. Oh, he's so handsome. <laughs> I met his daughter. They sang. Oh, wow. my God. Oh, that nice. Oh, I was in. Anybody, anybody handed me the microphone because I think yeah. she wants me to say that that I met Alex Trebek. And it was it was on an airplane. He was sitting in first class and I got in and my dog stopped right at him and was kind of like <laughs> him and poking him. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes. It's all right. I'm Alex Trebek. <laughs> wow. I I met I met Tim Wayfield. Oh, Tim Wayfield nice. was the uh, the pitcher for the Boston Red Sox who recently passed away. Oh, nice. I met him in the in the Nesson uh, suite at Fenway Park. Oh wow! Oh, that's um, mine. Yeah. Okay. I I met this is Rose. I met um Curly. No, I met her husband too. <laughs> I met Curly. I met Curly from the um the Gold Trotters. Oh, cool! And actually, he gave me a ticket to come to the um to the game. So that was really cool. That was back in the nineties. Mm. Yeah. Mm. This is Eddie, Alice. I met John Lane. Oh, yeah. I met Little Richard on a plane. We it was, we're sitting near each other. Yeah. I um, met the figure skater Oksana Bayul at Children's Hospital in Boston. Ooh, oh, nice. Figure skater, Olympic gold medalist. Yeah. Very that, cool. Yeah. yeah. Yep. I met Peter Paul and Mary. Okay. And um, I met Peter Yarrow separately years later, and I met um, Kevin McHale. Oh, cool. I I also met um, what's his name? Uh, um, I I didn't really. Um, oh God, 
No, no, no. Do you remember the show Dynasty? Yeah. It was an actress who played Alexis Alexis's daughter, Catherine Oxenberg, met her, and she was with Christopher Plummer. My aunt was more excited about Christopher Plummer. I, I was like, ooh, that's Catherine Oxford. <laughs> uh, so I didn't meet him, but I was tempted to beat him up. Uh, but uh, uh, Leonard Bernstein in a Chinese restaurant in Pittsburgh. He was acting really obnoxious, and I was going to give him my, uh, my two cents worth, but I was pulled off. Um, Brian Charlson has somebody to speak about that he met. Uh, a young man by the name of uh, Henny Youngman. One moment. <laughs> He's got a little story to tell with that. Okay. Celebrity. So, last thing supposed to speak is Henny Youngman. But in order to tell the story, it has a little off color nature to it. So, be careful. Oh. <laughs> I did meet Henry Youngman in the restaurant late at night as an ECB brother in his Brian, we can't understand you. Yeah, thank you for that. How is that? I don't know. That's better. I met Henry Youngman in a restaurant in Chicago at an ECB brother's meeting. He was eating after his gig in the hotel, and I was eating after being in a very long ACB board meeting. And we tried to get him to come over to our table, and finally he did, and we asked him to tell us a blind joke. And he was very embarrassed by the whole idea. But we were all blind, and we thought it was hilarious. son, you keep doing that, you're going to go blind. Father says, but son says, Dad, I'm over here. Davis, I mean, Brian's too hilarious. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. We're going to do that. Do you want to do that? If you could choose. It's 3.56, just making an, yeah, account, you could do that. an announcement one about time. One more. And we got one, one, more. one more in the. Uh, one more? We're going to do one more. Yeah. Okay. Uh -huh. Just one more yeah. for us, David. Yeah, I just. Oh. This is Dean Rice, guys. Okay. okay. All right. So, yeah, I just want. All right. Okay. Let's move yeah. on. Should we do I Okay. Oh. Um, if you could choose any two famous people to have dinner with, who would they be? Could I answer first for the last one? Sure. I just wanted to mention this is not like super famous all over, but you know, he's he's a comedian that's pretty local, really funny guy, Lenny Clark. Oh, yeah. And I went to I went to see him uh two weeks ago. And it's just really um it's it's a really cool story to share here. So when he was up at the um, podium and he's sharing his comedy and it was at a, a restaurant in Quincy and he said, um, I saw someone coming in here with a white cane. He said, I don't know the person must be blind or visually impaired. And I remember one time I went to Perkins School for the Blind and was, you know, doing my comedy bit. And one of the kids later said to me, thank God we can't see you. And, and everyone in the audience laughed. And then a little later, he said, Who, where is that person that had the cane? And I raised my hand. And he just came down and gave me a kiss on the lips, which was surprising. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> well, let's do one more. One more. 
Yeah, so. Okay, you go and then I'll go after you. No, 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 no. no. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be and why? Did everybody hear that? Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Santorini, Santorini, Greece. Beautiful Hawaii. Hawaii, because of the blue ocean, fresh Um, air. Water sound. Water sound. No, no, you can do. That's be the last one. What one should I? Rome, Italy. San San Francisco. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, California. Last question. So good. If you could magically become fluent in a language, what language would it be? Spanish. 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 I would like to become fluent in Spanish. 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 <laughs> Spanish. <laughs> Cindy went said sign language. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. She's saying I did not. What about the one about the tele- telepathic or something? Oh, like um, what's that one? Uh, oh, it means to be somewhere else. Uh, yeah. If you had the power of teleportation. Could go anywhere you wanted to go. Where would you go? Where would you go? Would you go to a different time? Whatever. Yeah, wherever. Yeah. Being being yourself anywhere. Yeah. Being yourself anywhere. Where would you you go? Where's Garth Brooks right now when I need him? Yeah. (laughs) Country and Western singer that is just Purdy. He's Purdy. I know who he is. Where would you go? Little House on the I would like to be in the Walton time zone. It's very fem it's very family oriented, you know. A simpler yep. time. Yeah, very yeah. simple. Very simple time. Not all these. I would like to go to the fever. And then, uh, um, what was it? What's the family saying? The beaver, beaver? beaver. the cleaver family. <laughs> oh, yeah, leave it to beaver. <laughs> <laughs> Only if you're a white man. <laughs> well, it's it's four o'clock, guys. Thank you so much. I, I hope this is fun. Okay. All right. Thanks, David. Thank you. Thank you, Miss. Well, I'm going to take just one or two minutes to close things down. I'll say good night, John Boy. Good night, uh, Mary. I can't even remember the family members' names there. Mary Ellen. You know what? We a couple of sessions to put together this ambassador program type of thing, and. One thing that was asked was, you know, when you speak to people about why you're a member of BSCB and why somebody might want to become a member, you know, what's your one reason? What's what's your one answer? That would be a good question to have asked here, trivia-wise. But yeah. mine has always been that it makes you feel like you are part of a community. And having an event such as this makes me feel like I'm really part of a community. People come together. They do what needs to be do needs to be done to make the event work. We talk about serious things. We talk about fun things. We have a good time. And hopefully we all go home a little smarter, a little happier, a little bit more fulfilled than when we first came here in the morning. So 
Thank you all very much for coming. Have a happy and joyous Thanksgiving and other sets of holidays. And a for you all and for all of us in BSCB, a great 2024. Thank you.